Welcome to the Nerds Boxing Podcast. With me, Annie White, and with me today, Mr. Martin Theobald. 45 minutes later than planned. Terry looks like he's not going to live. And Mr. Terry Jeffers. Let's get stuck in. Let's, you know, let's, let's get some oxygen out of our chests today. Excellent stuff. So, yes, as mine quite rightly points out, 40 now, seven minutes after we were due to, uh, due to how start. Many, how many audio setups have you gone through in the process of trying to do this? Uh, I think, strictly speaking, this is the fourth one. Your beard, your beard looked respectable when you started I, this. I actually, I, actually, I actually do look very, very homeless today. I don't know how you can be very homeless, but whatever that look is, I've managed to master it. Why, why is your missus not dumped you? <laughs> your, your tiny cock mate, mate you literally look like you're twinning with bear <laughs> I'm going for a haircut uh, on the 12th like I've booked it for the 12th I wasn't going to do it myself you know I'd rather look homeless than look like I've got a poor haircut I mean I suppose I do have a poor cut haircut by definition but what about what? what about I, took, I took mine off. What about the beard? There's no excuse for that. The beard, he does my beard at the same time. So I just leave him to... He'll, he'll shape that. Mate, it's not about shaping it. It's about making it look less terrible. <laughs> I I could achieve that. Fucking hell. Mate, mate. Like that fucking castaway. Yeah, I know. It genuinely looks like you should not be allowed near a primary school. <laughs> well, I'm not allowed near primary schools. You know that. <laughs> uh, how are we all? Yeah. Do you know, I don't know about you guys, but I'm at that point now where, because I can see the finish line of June 21st, Yeah. I'm, I'm limping. I know I'm limping to that finish line. And if Boris were to say September, like... Nah, that, that, I think that's Britain's breaking point. If Boris were to move that date of the 21st, all bets are off in this country. That's yeah, how yeah. I feel, man. Everything's on the table. Yeah, let me get to the 12th. Bit of gym action, bit of pub garden action, because, like, I mean, you just need to be around people again. Like, you just need to be around, like, other human beings again and talk nonsense. So let's get to that, and then let's sort of limp through... Uh, when's boxing back? Small hall boxing. Is that like the seventeenth of May? Yeah, that won't happen. Okay. <clears throat> it won't happen because at the moment the board have still got the regulations in place around everybody's got to be in a bubble in a hotel. Um, there's absolutely no chance any small hall promoter is paying for all of that setup to be able to run a show that you can't even sell the maximum amount of tickets to. 
<laughs> Some small hall promoters don't even pay the fucking boxers, let alone hotels for them. <laughs> There's some travel lodge in, uh, in West London. Ain't getting, ain't getting paid. <laughs> no, there's there's no hope because given you can't sell a venue to 100% capacity, and even if you could do that under normal circumstances, you you know you do slightly better than break even if you're doing well. Um, you know you make a small profit out of a show. You then levy on the costs of the testing, the hotels. Etc. Etc. Like there's no hope until. Well, I mean, you're talking June, July, if the board yes. change the rules. But then you start clashing with the football over the summer. Um, I don't think you see anything until September earliest. Early. But then, but, but like you said, it's all predicated on there being full venues. We're not social distancing. Full venues and take away the testing and uh, bubble requirements. I, I think you're at the point now where there are guys who are just going to go, this boxing thing is done for me. I agree. I agree. You've got lads too. By the time they return in September, you know, they're going to have gone, a lot of them, from 25 years old to almost hitting like 27, 28. And there's a lot of changes. You know, your body, you, they're not all going to have kept in great shape. Age is going to have added on a few pounds. Are they really going to have that hunger and desire to get back to it? I don't think they will. Not, I think... Not all of them. Lot, yeah, mate, a lot of guys have fallen off a cliff. Because, and I know people have been putting up the videos of them training and stuff, but it's all low intensity training because you know you're not fighting for ages. So it's just, it's not even ticking over because your mental engagement is pretty low. So I look at guys, and I, I don't want to shame anyone by naming names, but there's some guys that I'm like, I think your career's done. I think and, there's quite a few, quite a few that'll end up like that. Yeah, I just I can't I can't see it. But then paradoxically, I can see some people coming back. So so someone who's someone who popped into my head, I thought with the with the inactivity that's happened in the last year or so, I could see someone like a Daryl Williams coming back because with his style, a lot of people are quite soft around the body. And if you go back to the first one of these we did, and Terry's prediction was you're gonna see a lot of people get stopped with body shots because it was the hardest thing to train back again. So I can see him, someone like that, maybe coming through. But outside of that, it's hard. It's a hard road. It is. I agree. And this, like, how many of these lads, the ones that have taken it seriously and the ones that are genuinely planning upon returning, they need to have been juicing off their nut. They should have been. Yeah, man. There's the secret blend of... Nuts, fruits, and juices. No, it's all right because we're not naming names, Terry. You don't have to use your pseudonyms for for games. <laughs> I'm, not, you know, I'm, not naming, I'm not naming any boxer in particular. I'm just saying that if you've been away from the sport for so long, you probably haven't even got a license right now because what was the point in renewing it when it expired? You should have been away doing your science. But here's <laughs> so, so here's the problem. So so in this lockdown, I've become a bit of a. I've, I've improved my expertise on, on the art of blending and juicing and Have all the things that are good for you. Mate, it's a fucking minefield. So now I understand why boxers fuck up. So things boxers shouldn't be taking. So when I heard Fury pop from Andrelo, and I said it at the time, what a dirty steroid to use. And a lot of boxers just do what the bodybuilders do and they, they ingest so much. But it's dangerous for a lot of these guys because of the downstream effects. I was talking to a good friend of mine and she, she used to box for Australia back in the day. 
and she was talking about some of the female athletes in the Ebony Bridges. Hmm? The Ebony Bridges. No, but a friend of mine says he knows Ebony Bridges. Well, I have no interest in hmm? Beach Barbie. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but she was saying a lot of these young women involved in just Olympic boxing in general, sacrificing their fertility, the, the aggressive weight cuts, the, the almost kind of bulimia levels of dieting, and in some cases, the PEDs are shredding their fertility. And that's happening to guys as well, because there are a lot of guys doing this like through back backroom gyms. So there are guys, you know, taking stuff without understanding that maybe you need to take certain things in sequence and so forth. There are ways to do it. And it's why the best people at it have a whole system behind them. The someone to procure the drugs, someone to administer the drugs, someone to do the blood work to make sure the hormone profile is still strong and all of that stuff. It's it's hard. So if people have been juicing in the shadows, go and get your blood work done. Make sure that everything's up to par because you don't want to end up unable to have kids. There you go. There's our bit of uh, moral guidance. If you've been cheating, go and make sure you get the right guidance. Yeah. As a civilian, though, not as a licensed athlete. If you, as a civilian, as as, as a citizen with no license, and you're listening to this, and you may have taken a few a few little betties to keep you happy, just be careful what you're taking. Now, if you are a licensed athlete, don't touch any of this stuff, right? It's wrong. What about if I already have? Well, look at that beard, mate. Like, what the hell have you been taking? I'm talking as the athlete, the registered athlete. What about if this registered athlete is listening and he goes, right, so I've got to make sure that I do my blood work because I'm meant to have kids. I need some more help, Terry. I've been juicing off my tits. The entire time I've been in lockdown, what do I need to do? Do my blood work and what? Get your blood work done, check your prolactin levels, check your progesterone, make sure you can still create some form of estrogen, you know, the, the normal sensible basics. Andy, I, I've seen you getting changed for football, mate. You don't need to worry about this. <laughs> <laughs> Just nuts dragging on the floor like those chimpanzees. <laughs> what do they call that? Is it like elephantitis? You know, like we, the picture of the yeah, kids yeah. sat on us. <laughs> it's elephantitis in one specific area of my body, and it's out of control, frankly. Uh, so, so, it's, so no, no small boxing. I don't reckon earliest, earliest be September. And then that's if people want to do it. Yep. I mean, like if people, you'll always find as, people that want to do it. Whether whether people want to watch it is the other half. Yeah, that that's going to be hard because you know, you, you know what it's like. It, it, it's like the backpack theory. Like, remember after seven seven, everyone got suspicious of anyone with a backpack. It's going to be the same thing if you're just there at your core, just blowing out your nose. Uh, <coughs> man, you might empty the whole place. Yeah, the problem is I've been to York Hall on fight nights and there's an awful lot of people there going... <sighs> you know what, that's where my mind went. That is exactly where my mind went. And then I realised he was talking about COVID. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, going on to the doorman. Mate, there's a lot of people suffering with COVID in the toilet cubicles. <laughs> uh, yeah, their preemptive medication. I, the, question, the question I have is that the there was a theme 
running within this podcast all the time we did it, which was small whore boxing is on is generally on a knife edge and it's working hand to mouth. So the question, so the, the immediate sort of logic I apply to it is, if it doesn't buckle, if it doesn't come in for a massive crash, then how was that true in the first place? Do you know what I mean? I don't really know what question I'm asking there, but like, please explain to me how it how it can possibly carry on. I suppose. Can I? So, from what I understand of your question, is it was always on a knife edge, and then it's had to go stop with no support. How has it not died in that process? Yeah. Right. So small hall boxing, nobody is spending money on it while it's not happening. Like it costs a lot of money to do when it happens. So you have to pay the board. You have to pay for a venue. You have to pay for the security. You have to pay for the ambulances, all of that stuff. But if you haven't got a show, there's no outgoing because most small hall teams, uh, or sorry, small hall promoters don't have like, it's not like match room where you have, a social media person, a matchmaker, a content person, um, all these different roles. Most small hall promotional outfits are one or two people, if that. So you've, you haven't got like a big staffing bill or anything, anything to support. Um, it's just, you know, you're, you're pretty reliant upon friends and family to help out on the night to run the shows. So there aren't like wage bills to support. It's just if there are no shows, there is no cost. And it's the reason why Eddie was so jumpy, if you notice, because he knew every month he didn't put on a show, he still had that staff to pay. It's almost like, like if you look at Joshua, that whole, that whole Joshua operation had to be sustained on one fight last year and probably one fight this year, it's looking like. And so even he started to sweat a bit and go, well, I need to get my stable out more often. And so I think you'll see some tensions between AJ boxing and matchroom boxing in terms of how often his people get out. Yeah, but if you saw, did you see the money that AJ boxing declared? For, uh, oh. Yeah. Oh, which, which one? The, the promotional company or the management company? Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but the one that raked in like 80 million pounds over the course of 12 months. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to find the numbers somewhere, but uh, yeah, they were serious. They were serious. So then, then I can therefore sort of extrapolate from that that the the meaning of it being on a knife edge was that each individual show put on is operating on razor thin margins. is is essentially what that 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 knife edge kind of means. Correct. On that basis, um, once things open up again, is it purely and only to do with the footfall that will depend on the future of it? Because presumably, you're not no promoter is going to know who's going to turn up for their shows until they put a fight on. So there's going to have to be at least some sort of a gamble as to putting on one or two shows, and then. Depending on what the footfall is for those shows, depends on how the future of small hall boxing. Are we waiting to see where the future is going to lie in the next six to eight months? Can I give my Terry theory on this? And I'm only saying this because I know Steve's going to listen and Ring Talk's going to be like, Terry knows a lot about training fighters, but he knows nothing about promoting. So I'm just going to get it in now because I know Steve. <laughs> What we need from small hall boxing now is some common sense. And it is literally 
if we're going to get fans back in, we cannot have our guys fighting journeyman X from God knows where, right? We need to start finding ways of putting kids that fans know against each other. Now, is that what you have to do for the next five years? I don't know. But for the first six months or so, we need to get fights that make sense to the fans. So you need top small hall guy X against top small hall guy Y. And let's just get that going. And if people say, ah, oh, it's too soon. They need fights to get used to it. Everyone's in the same boat. Just make the fights happen. And then let's get interested. Because there are a lot of guys who've got time to make up as well. So fighting journeyman doesn't do their careers any good. I would agree. I mean, the counter argument to that would be, as you'd said previously, if you were if you were a top level boxer, would you be putting your, uh, you know, if you're a trainer of a top level boxer, would you be putting your lad in with another top level boxer in their return fight? You would try and avoid it wherever possible. You're just scaling that down to a lower level. Would you put your decent lower level boxer in with somebody? of the same level or would you try and get them an easier first touch on their, their first outing? Ideally, ideally you want to be getting them in that, that easier touch, but I would, so, I would agree with you. I want to see the harder fights. With my promoter's head on, remember the promoter is the custodian for the product that I pay for. The promoter has to look after their product and they, I think the key thing here is going to be momentum. If the first show is a stinker, it's going to be hard to generate the momentum to fill the venue. No, but disagree. the first show's good. Agree. In that, um, small hall shows are pretty much an ice. Like, how many return customers do you get to a small hall show? Like, how many people are buying it for the show, and how many are buying it for the individual boxes? That amount that buy it for the show are minimal. Like a small percentage. It's the people that buy it for the boxes individually that fill oh. the venue. But if you roll that up a level, it's about sentiment. If if let's say I'm going to buy a ticket for fuck knows, Adrian Martin, right? But Adrian Martin's not fighting till October. If I'm hearing that the show's in May, I'm like, oh, what, 200 people showed up and it was terrible. That's going to feed into my sentiment for when that fight comes down. So you've almost got to manage the sentiment, which will then inform how people feel about small hall boxing. Yeah, and no, I, got, yeah. I get what you mean as like, as a, um, as an ecosystem of fans that go to small hall shows, I agree with you. Yeah. But 80% of small hall boxing tickets are sold to friends and families of boxers anyway. So they probably wouldn't even know there was a show on in May when they come to buy their ticket for September. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. because, And here's where I come back to how boxing, how I see boxing work. It's all interconnected. Right, we're all on Twitter, we're all on Instagram or whatever. So this stuff and Facebook as well. I forget Facebook sometimes. It filters out. So even the pictures and stuff. And then you're like, oh, okay, you want me to buy a ticket, but it's not looking that good. And then then I start to think in terms of shit. Um, what if I catch COVID? It's going to be awfully hot in the summer. It's going to be sweaty and sticky in there. Perfect conditions for a virus to breed. The negativity creeps in if the first one doesn't look good. If the second one looks good, it's almost that halo effect. If the first one looks good, you get the halo effect, which then goes, okay, it's back. Cool. I'm going to wait for my guy to sell his tickets and I'm bang on it. And I think, and in, in the same way that if June 21st 
is 25 degrees and sunny, that whole week is going to be carnage. If June 21st is wet, right? If it's wet, windy, with like 80 mile an hour winds, the rest of that week is going to be shit. And it's that sentiment that people attach to that initial impact. How many of us are booking our week off work and going on the piss? I, I, I get it for tough. Laptop in the garden. Um, the question I have, therefore, from that sort of interchange is that if the vast majority of tickets are therefore sold to friends and family, then like, what raises edge is, I, I appreciate that there's they're thin margins, but then the future of the sport surely is all just based on whether boxers have enough friends and families to pay for it. Yes, and yeah, to some degree it is. But, okay, say you're a fighter, Andy. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have to shave that beard off because it's wank. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nothing to do with the boxing. <laughs> Just get rid of it. You've got that in public. So, no, no, no. So, you're a boxer and your first five, well, say your first three fights are all against journeymen. People come along, they'll pay 50 quid plus 50 quid for the night out, 100 quid, and they'll support you and you win 40-36 for those first three fights. No one gets knocked over. No one's in any jeopardy. The fights are relatively boring, but there's still a buzz and excitement that you are a professional boxer. So your mates and your family will come along and watch. After three or four of those, that gets pretty mundane. Like, it's difficult then to start parting £100 from people to come and watch you fight Radishlav Lovlenko. Um, the one and only. <laughs> and so it's difficult enough, and I don't think people appreciate this, it's difficult enough to sell 100 tickets to anything. Like... <coughs> Excuse me? Aside from live shows. <laughs> but look, between the three of us, we sold, I don't know, what? 90 tickets per live show something like that nah, nah, we we hit we hit we we were well over 100 in the, in the second one well <laughs> people showed up That's like, people showed up with no tickets after that the is true there was no security on that venue uh but look if you andy can you off the top of your head think right now of 100 people that you could get to part with 100 pound in total to go and watch you fight uh, no, probably no. not. No. But then, but then, but then it suggests to me that it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> you get you have to get new people in to feed the the feed the, the appetite because the the people towards the sort of fifth, sixth, seventh fight, they their support falls away because it's friends and family and they're getting bored and bring in the new guys because they'll feed the. Do you know what I mean? No, so those people well, six, seven fights, they've still got to sell their allocation of tickets, like. They don't, it's not like you get six, seven fights and you've only got to sell 50 unless you start making those more competitive fights. So the ones Terry was talking about, switch it all the way back to the beginning. If you put competitive two lads in who have got winning records, the reason you have to sell, say, 100 tickets is because you've got to pay for your opponent. You've got to pay into the show. You've got to uh, pay. When you sell 100 tickets, you might walk away with, I don't know, say... 300, 400 pounds yourself in profit. Um, but if you start taking competitive fights against somebody else, you're no longer paying for that opponent. You're just paying 
for yourself and into a show to some degree, a, a, an arbitrary amount. Um, and then you pay your trainer, you pay uh, the other people, but you don't have to pay for that opponent. And that opponent costs maybe two grand. Like that two grand is what, at 40 quid a ticket, that's 50 tickets. And so you take that element away. So when you get into more competitive fights, you're not paying for your opponent anymore. You're paying for your fight, not their fight. And so here's the key thing. And here's one time I got a shout out Mark Rygain at Fitzroy Lodge because Mark will take all the young amateurs through this process. Like, because Mark's seen it. Like he's seen all of his mates have kind of been over that line. It hasn't been for them. I think the example I think of is Craig Stanley where it just wasn't for him. And so Maloney was just like, nah, this ain't for you, mate. So Mark will say to a young fighter, look, like you said, Martin, first three fights, you will probably sell your required allocation. And Mark will say, save that money at all yes. costs because you will need it when the ticket sales drop off. Don't buy another pair of shorts for your second fight. Use the ones you wore in the first fight. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of young guys forget this. So I talk to guys and they say, I want to turn pro. My first question to them immediately is, I want you to write down 50 people that will buy a ticket off you today. And they could, it goes quiet. So I say, until you can give me that list, do not talk to me about turning pro. Now, if you want to go and be a, like the B-side guy, cool. That's, that's, go and do that. Remember you and I spoke about a fighter where I told you he'll end up being one of the best B-sides on Steve Goodwin's roster. Yep. But he still won't embrace that idea. He would have made a bucket load of money. Yeah, of course you would. You make, you know, a grand per fight, grand and a half per fight, going around doing some six rounders that you wouldn't really get hurt in. Yeah. And so I, I wish a lot of guys worked that principle. Make your money, save it. Robbie, Chapman. save it. Robbie Chapman's going to go around doing that. Like Robbie Chapman is a decent level fighter. As an amateur, he beat Denzel Bentley. Uh, as a pro, he's fought for Robbery. Sorry? <laughs> Robbery. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as a pro he's fought for a southern area he lost it but now he's like he's going out on the road and he's going to get paid whatever it is one and a half grand a grand per fight because he wants to save up for a deposit for a house brilliant I respect that why don't more boxers go and do it if you're not at a level whereby you're going to be competitive then learn the fine art of defence and fuck off on the road and earn lots of money. Especially now we're hitting Brexit when bringing in Radoslav Bloglovlov from Bulgaria suddenly requires a permit. And you're going to have issues over promoters because say that permit lasts for one month. If I'm Steve Goodwin, do I want to pay for that permit for the first one knowing that then MTK can use that same permit a week later and Dennis Hobson can use that permit two weeks later? Or do you start pooling together an amount of money to pay for permits? It all becomes really messy. So if you're yeah. a British fighter, consider going down that journeyman route because you're going to take away some admin. But I think the issue with that, Martin, is a lot of guys don't learn defence. So for me, I think there's an art to being a journeyman. Now, and I, I separate journeyman, as you all know, I separate a journeyman from a body in the corner. Yeah. A journeyman's a guy who can take you six rounds and after the fight, talk you through what you did well and what you did badly. They're, for me, they're the guys where I'm like, you've just, whatever you've paid that guy was worth it. And there are so like, a guys, like a trainer you can beat up. 
like, uh, like uh, basically like a a, a, a a dummy, a punch bag with feedback. No, no, because these guys, like, if you, so I always go back to the old school, what a journeyman was. A journeyman was a guy you'd call up and say, look, I've got Rocky Marciano in New Jersey. His opponent's pulled out. I need someone that can go 10 rounds with Rocky Marciano. So you're not a bum. If you can go 10 rounds with Rocky Marciano, you're not a bum. But you're a journeyman because that's your job. You just fill in. And so there's a high level of skill required around that in terms of you've got to be able to do the stuff. And if you bring it down a level, a good journeyman could batter a prospect. So they're actually just bringing them along. You know, they'll test them. Can you take a body shot? Boom. You know, how do you cope with my jab in your face? Boom. How do you cope with the jab to the body? What if I go around the ring? Can you, can you cut me off? You know, and then they'll finish that fight and go, okay, you know, here's some things to work on. But it's not really a, a dummy because if, if that guy decides to win, he can win. William Warburton is always a good one. It's a, it's a shame he's retired now. But like William Warburton, he beat Jason Wellborn, who fought for a world title. Granted, he <laughs> couldn't have been fighting for a world title. He won a British against Tommy Langford. Um, you know, like at any point, William Warburton could turn it on and turn out, uh, you know, he could switch off a, a prospect whenever he wanted. He didn't necessarily do it that often. It was Aaron, what was his name that he, he iced? Was it Aaron Morgan? Yes, Aaron Morgan. He absolutely iced him. Um, Didn't Pickford do that as well? Yes, I think so. But William Warburton, whenever he'd fight one of Steve's journeymen, he'd then like lean over the rope. I say, when he'd fight one of Steve's prospects, he'd lean over the rope at the end and I'd have a chat with him. And he'd be like, nah, kid can't punch or kid's got shit movement. Or he'd give me feedback for about 30 seconds at the end of a fight, just telling me about the lad. And then he'd go to the other corner and go and tell that lad probably in a slightly nicer way than what I've just articulated it. Um, you know, what was good and what was bad about their performance. He was brilliant for it. And he'd always give that feedback to the trainer and the fighter. And the problem is we don't have enough of that in boxing. So you get to 5-0, and oh, you're not really tested. Then you get to 10-0, oh, we're like, you're not really being tested at this point. And it's why I've quite liked, in the lockdown, the one guy that I need to give his roses to has been Denzel Bentley because like a year ago, I remember him and I did the podcast and I spoke to him and I just said, mate, I think this is a year you need a real, a real test. I don't know if the Linus fight will happen for you this year. Hopefully the lockdown will bring it together. I didn't realize he was going to get Heffron. And when he got, when he told me the Heffron fight was on the table, I said, mate, that's a hard fight because Heffron still got some juice in the tank. Yep. And so the first fight was compelling. I feel had Denzel done some of the stuff he'd worked on in camp, he probably would have ended the fight, but he got, he fell in love with his own work, unfortunately, but he knows that. And then in the second fight, you saw the evolution and the progression. You saw the lessons learned. And for me, that's the essence of boxing. I love seeing that, where I'm like, okay, beginning of lockdown, you're a guy we're talking about for the English. You won the British. Now we're talking about you fighting for the British and the Commonwealth against Felix Cash. I can see the progression. I'm happy with that. I can get behind you now. Yeah. Moving it back round to small hole boxing then. So, Martin, you don't think that it's necessary to um, flood the cards with 50-50s immediately in order to sort of 
say small hall boxing. I know I've oversimplified that, but that's that's well, that's kind of what Terry insinuated. But um, you don't think that it's necessary to go that direction? Um, there's two ways of approaching it. So, or there's two answers to that question. So, will small hall boxing benefit from doing that six months down the line from when it starts back? Yeah, I think it probably would. Would it survive for six months by not matching prospects? Yeah, it would, because you've still got that ecosystem of friends and families. But six months down the line or 12 months down the line, when they're coming back and they've all had the two or three fights against Radoslav, blog, blah, blah, then people have lost a lot of interest by that point. And it's hard to reignite that. So I would like to see more prospect matching than what we've seen in the past. I don't think it needs to go the full way where every fight is a prospect against a prospect. And do we do we think, um, well, I say, I, the question is, when do you think we return to anything resembling normality in, in regards to small boxing? September, earliest. Earliest, because you've got to miss the Euros. You can't clash with the Euros because no one will come out and watch. Nothing ever happens in August, particularly because you're fearful of people going away on holiday, um, which I don't know whether people will or won't this year. I've no idea what the rules will be by that point. But um, do shows at Butlins? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all right, I'm up for that. <laughs> do one of those '90s weekenders as well. That'd be brilliant. Like, so I'll give you an example. I remember there was a there was a show we went to. Like Colin, every year, Colin McMillan does like an amateur show. And it's like a charity event. And he does it at the Prince Regent. So the last one I went to, God, it's ages ago now. That's when, remember I told you when Joshua just showed up unannounced? Yeah. So we go, we go to this thing. It's all right. So we're all here now. What, what do we do? And there's like an over 30s night happening in the club upstairs. Right? So we've all gone from an amateur show, a little dinner show, straight into this thing. And you're dancing around with like guys who used to hang around with Tony Tucker and Pat Tate, like real old school, those East End Essex gangsters with the sovereign rings and everything, right? Like a Joey Pyle, a Joey Pyle get together. Mate, absolutely mental. I remember getting the Uber home at like 4.30 in the morning, just going, that was brilliant. Because everyone had been, yeah, everyone's watched the boxing. Great, great few fights, a lot of energy. Josh was there, there's a hype, and then you just follow that through. So if the numbers were there at a place like Butlin's, yeah, I could see the sense in that. I'd love a 90s weekend with like just a few a few fights in the middle. It doesn't need to be a full card. Just chuck a few yeah. fights in the middle. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. There's an idea. Let's see if that takes off. Well, everyone turn up as like 1990s WWF wrestlers as well. <laughs> everyone yeah. has to trip. I'm, I'm coming as... I'm coming as Mr. Perfect. I don't care. I have to be Mr. either Mr. Perfect or the Million Dollar Man. You've either got to turn up as a 90s wrestler or in a global hypercolor t-shirt. <laughs> why didn't they bring those back? I know there was the armpit issue generally, but why didn't they bring them back? They must have been able to overcome that by now. Just change the material around the armpit. Can't be that There's, hard. I'm surprised it wasn't a football kit made out of that sort of stuff. Uh, that's going to be really fucking hard to pass by the FA, isn't it? <laughs> we, we, First half we're in yellow, second half we're in green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. Um, okay, so is there anything more you want to touch on with um, 
with small hall i mean i suppose we'll come back around to it at some point but is there any major points you want to you want to yes. mention yeah so the the big worry for small hall currently is the lack the lack of amateurs so like but you're telling them all speak. to not go pro so well, no, well, no. So, so i look at the last year and i'm like who's really stayed on like the training who's really stayed disciplined and hungry We've seen a lot of lads drop off, like on our radar. And when I talk to the guys at the Lynn um, and all the other clubs, there's been a massive drop off of, of engagement. Now, I'm not saying it's fatal yet, but when things open up April 12th, excuse me, I think England boxing have to move really quickly to tell us what the calendar looks like, or we're going to lose a lot of lads to other things. Because I know guys are talking about MMA now. They're saying, well, the MMA thing seems to just be ticking over so we might go over and do that so i think we just need to be wary and i think as a boxing community we need to be pressing our amateur governing body to give us clarity on what's going to happen because you do not want to end up three or four years from now going god there's nobody coming through yep right <clears throat> let's move on then to what was originally at the top of the agenda so Right, that's the introduction gone. So let's uh, let's go to the top of the agenda, um, which was, where are we with Fury Joshua? Ah, fucking hell! First why of all, why did I put this on the agenda? What? First of all, is it Fury Joshua or Joshua Fury? It's uh, neither. Oh, that doesn't have the same ring to it. Neither. <laughs> Um, like, it's not going to happen anytime soon. I'm, I don't even know why I put this on the agenda, being quite honest. I wish I hadn't. Um, well, he's in there now, and I want to hear about it. I do know why I put it in. I do know why I put it in. I put oh, it in because good. you would want to discuss it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't want to discuss anything because I have nothing to add to it. But I want to hear you two discuss it. Look, it's simple, right? You're not doing a fight in the Middle East in July. It's 48 degrees. It's not happening. I don't care what they tell you they're going to build. It's not happening. Because if you've ever been out to the Middle East in the summer, it's hell. That's why everyone comes from, goes from the Middle East to London. So you can write the summer off. So it's not going to happen this side of Canelo, Billy Joe. And then by the time that the temperatures have cooled off in the Middle East, you're back to Mexican Independence Day in September. So Hearn has to go and do that promoting for Canelo. So now you're looking at October, November, realistically. And that's Fury out the ring for 18 months. That's Joshua nearly 12 months out the ring. Both guys will need to be active in order to make this a compelling and entertaining fight. So they fight October, November, December in that window. Cool. So you're looking at April 2022, which is what we called for in the New Age Boxing Podcast ages ago. We said April 2022 is the earliest it will happen. The thing is, they're almost a victim of their own success at this point because... They've they've done all the dance around shit like Fury with his <laughs> boxing of bums in Vegas to sort of raise his profile or whatever, and um, Joshua probably on reflection now losing and then getting the rematch, which just pushed everything further down the line. And there was probably someone like Eddie Hearn when it all started to pan out, thinking, "Oh, this is just beautiful. It's marinating deliciously." And now it's the point. It's got to the point where they have taken every possible convoluted turn, 
where everyone's gone, well, surely they've got to fight next. Oh, no, wait, he's got to fight fucking this guy. Oh, no, oh, no because this is the absolute final eliminator eliminator for this guy. And you're like, oh, God, really? Is that it? Finally. And now we're like, well, I really, now that they've spoken about it, nobody cares about any fight that those two do unless it's with each other. Any movement apart from that is going to be like, fuck off. But, but here's the problem no one's actually talking about, right? Three years ago, just under three years ago, Team Wilder made Joshua the 50 million offer. Now, Joshua's team said, no, we think the, the, the undisputed fight will be massive down the line, right? Okay, fine. I'll buy that for a bit. But now you're looking at it. Hearn was talking about a $100 million site fee in Saudi. And I said, not with the oil price where it currently is. Because in the Middle East, they haven't really coped well with COVID. So they're still struggling on their kind of return to normality. So you can't even sell tickets. So how are the, how are the Saudis going to make 100 million back? Do you see what I mean? Like marketing and social media impressions don't mean much to a country that's built on oil. So the whole Middle East thing is a mess because they're probably going to say, look, times are hard. We'll give you 60 million site fee. Now you've got to find all of that money to, to make sure Joshua gets his 50 million. Or then he's like, why didn't I just go and fight Wilder, which would have been an easier fight for 50 mil. And Hearn's ego won't allow him to fight for less than 50 million. And I don't know where you're going to get that 50 million from on a 50-50 split. Shanghai. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I don't think China cares that much. <clears throat> <laughs> um so are you in um are you in agreement there mine so we're not seeing anything until april for the ver various reasons that terry outlines i don't think we'll see it in april either if i'm on like there, there has to come a point because the window of opportunity whereby mandatories are no longer called is so small at present because the wbo are pushing the usic mandatory that's why we haven't had Usyk Joyce announced is because presumably if I'm Usyk, I'm not signing to fight Joyce when there may be an opportunity to fight Joshua. Um, so you can understand why that's all being delayed. So everything is on hold. It feels like when Mayweather was fighting and everybody's career got put on hold trying to get the Mayweather fight, all these other fights are Usyk Joyce on hold because they're just waiting to find out what happens with Fury Joshua. And if that doesn't happen, then somebody jumps in to fight one of the two of them. Um, whether yeah. it becomes White versus Fury, perhaps, and whether it becomes Usyk versus Joshua. But it becomes a point where all of these belts are completely fucking detrimental to what we're trying to achieve as a sport, which is to see good fights. And it <laughs> that's so true. But that's what you want to see, isn't it? Good fights. <laughs> Can you imagine? When was it one of the press conferences not that long ago, three months, four months ago, saying, oh, it's going to get to a point where do we need belts? Should we just get rid of the belts? And yet you can watch this weekend and um, Conor Ben is fighting Vargas for like a WBC international or whatever. And you're like, like those two don't parlay. You can't start talking about getting rid of and binning all of the belts and yet still paying the sanctioning fees for these regional trinkets. Like, you need to even... It's feast or famine. And he's 
too afraid, not just him, other every other promoter being too afraid to cut those apron strings to the, the sanctioning bodies because they still need those belts ultimately. So don't talk about getting rid of the titles because you won't. But ultimately, do I care if Fury versus Joshua is for all of the belts, three of the belts, two of the belts, one of the belts? No, no, no. And I don't think that impacts upon the sales. You know, like my dad, I always use my dad as the benchmark. Does he know about a fight being on? Yeah, he would buy that. He bought fucking Dillian White Povetkin. Damn One right. Two. 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 Ooh. I know. Um, he bought Chisora Usyk. Good Lord. I know. It's his fault. Um, <laughs> and so you know he's going to be buying Joshua Fury. He wouldn't know what belts are on the line for it. He wouldn't care. And so that whole thing about it being undisputed is an irrelevance. Like, if those belts are becoming a hindrance, get rid of the belts. But that will not happen. And so instead, we'll end up with the two of them going their separate ways because they couldn't get the site fee organised on time. It couldn't make both sides happy. Therefore, we'll come back to it when COVID's over. Blah, 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 blah. By which point you're going to go back into the cycle of all of the mandatories. And so that fight, to me, I, I just don't see it happening anytime soon. Which would, be, which would be a, a catastrophe. It's it's know, a it's massive own goal for the sport. It's a massive, massive own goal for the sport. It just seems like boxing is the only... I was just trying to scan through different sports then. So I, I, I understand that it is necessary for the titles or the things you're fighting for um, to not be... Uh, dictated by time, which is what every other sport does. Like the Olympics, they happen every four years, so get ready for them. It's not like, right, when are you ready to fight for that gold medal? When, when are you ready to shoot for that gold medal? You time your your training to fit that agenda rather than with boxing. It's all about, basically, as soon as you're the biggest dick in the stable, you get to swing it about and start dictating where it goes. Where. Because... Like with Usyk, for example, why would Usyk sign, even if he's resigned to the fact that Fury and Joshua is going to happen, why would he sign for a fight when actually he can just cue it behind the Fury, the potential Fury-Joshua thing and go, you know what, I'm going to put it here. If Fury and Joshua goes to a second fight, I can get a second fight there. But what I'm not going to do is sign now, fight in, say, 12 weeks, 14 weeks' time, and then be sat there still waiting for Joshua and Fury to fight. And then... Like, you know when you've got... You're trying to fit in a meeting with your colleagues at work, and, like, you go, oh, how about Thursday at 10? And they all go, oh, no, one of them's got a meeting on Thursday at 10. So you go, all right, Friday at 11. No, I can't do Friday at 11. You're basically doing that, but with no visibility... <laughs> No visibility of anyone else's calendar, and you're all trying to hide a little bit of something from someone else. That's Yo, classic, classic Terry solution to that. I find the most senior person in that meeting, and I book it to a time they can do. And I go, look, here's a time the CEO can do. Oh, they fall into line pretty quick after that. Yeah, but what if the CEO can't decide whether he's the A side or the B side and wants <laughs> to go first on the meeting invite? <laughs> Am I the only example with the FD? <laughs> And the no, only no. way it can happen is that you've got an advisor who's no longer allowed to be involved in the <laughs> sorry, the meeting. The, the thing is, in this scenario, the CEO... <laughs> the, meeting, the meeting, not a fight. Not 
the the CEO would then try his hardest to go, right, Terry's trying to find a time for this meeting, so therefore I'll try and find the worst time for Terry. 2 a.m. Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, Terry? Terry's like, ah, I'm going to be smashed on Italian brandy at that time. No way, no deal. And he's like, that. that's the only time I can do, brother. Sorry. That, you know, that's how fucking, that's how ridiculous a fighting schedule works. Whereas, let me give you, wouldn't, let me if, give you a real world example, right? A year ago, right? A year ago, Six Nations was fucked because of COVID. Rugby clubs were fucked because of the whole lockdown. And they were like, shit, we're going to lose all of this money. And morale in rugby was through the floor, right? And then they got back to playing, no crowds. Everybody's moaning and complaining. Fast forward to the last few weeks, we have the best Six Nations we've had in absolutely ages. Because the sport said, we don't care how people feel. We don't care what people are saying. It's going to happen on these dates. And you guys need to show up. And... Every, every nation showed up and gave their best. And it was entertaining as hell. Boxing has been allowed to, to dance to his own tune for two reasons. One, everyone in the sport loves the confusion because you can make money, you can lose money, you can hide money, you can make money appear in places it shouldn't. And the second reason is the public generally don't give two shits about boxing. It's not that important to our social structure. Nope. <clears throat> Unlike football. You couldn't have this in football. Can you imagine? Man United just said, well, <laughs> look, we need to rest our players. So we're going to play Marine. Then we're going to play Tranmere Rovers. We're going to play Berry. Um, then we have to play Marine again because we don't really know if that was a fluke or not. <laughs> Like the, the the thing is with the 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 whole that's a self fulfilling prophecy to some extent though because you're right that the boxing doesn't have the same sort of social pressure but that if they did there would be more money in it because it would be more popular and that's what would lead to that pressure so I understand the the logic you're applying and I, and I can I can see it but like what I, what I do find a little bit baffling is that if they did hold themselves to a schedule that people could rely on, they would attract a following which would lead to more money. And if there's one thing that a lot of people are in boxing, it's greedy. So you'd have thought that that would have just worked itself out. And that's the thing that no one's talked about. This fight definitely won't happen before the match on Sky situation is resolved. Yes. Right? And people, people are sleeping on that. But just from what I hear, and now when people say, how do you know this stuff? I know a lot of the corporate guys at Sky, not necessarily the boxing guys. I know a lot of the corporate guys. And the word kind of spreads. And Sky are looking at different ways of doing boxing because they can see that the numbers aren't going up. So if you look at Sky's subscription, what, what is it? About between 12 and 14 million. I don't know what the number actually is. Question mark. Hmm? No idea. Absolutely no idea. Yeah, so... <laughs> If you're, if you're doing a million on a Joshua pay-per-view, the question is, how the hell are we not penetrating deeper into our subscriber base who love sport? Because that's how we've driven our growth over the last 20 or 30 years. And so they're looking at different ways of doing things. Do we need more competition on our portfolio? Now that we've established ourselves as the number one outlet for British boxing, do we need more competition? And then Hearn's going... Well, I can just take these guys to the zone. If you guys want to be stupid, I'll go to the zone. 
and we'll come to the UK and take you guys over. Or, or and me being conspiratorial, get my bully only hat on here. Is there going to come a point where Sky say, the sport thing's costing us an arm and a leg. We don't care that much about it anymore. We've got the subscribers we've got. We're going to partner with DAZN. So DAZN provide the sporting content to Sky subscribers and they get a cut of the monthly revenue that we get from subscription. And then Hearn just goes, all my eggs in this DAZN basket. I don't, right now, I don't know what the answer is, but there are many options that we need clarity on that before we'll even see Joshua in a, in a meaningful fight, never mind Fury, just a meaningful fight. So Joshua has one fight left on the matchroom deal, from what I believe, um, which there were aspects of the force majeure due to COVID that impacted upon the, the deal. Um, how can you sign up to a two-fight deal when you've only got one fight left on your contract? You'd have to do that as Anthony Joshua, not as Anthony Joshua slash Matchroom at that point. So presumably, it's not only Matchroom and Sky that need to resolve their situation, which ends in November, I believe, the uh, Matchroom Sky contract. You've also got to sort out Anthony Joshua and Matchroom's contract. And whether that sits as Anthony Joshua Matchroom, Anthony Joshua Matchroom and Sky, Anthony Joshua and Sky, who knows? Who knows? But then, um, if you don't know what the market, like, I, so the first thing I think is, why wouldn't they have sorted the contract out already? Then the logical deduction from that would be, maybe, they, maybe they're waiting to see what the market looks like. But at that level, the only way you're going to see what the market looks like is if you take a step. And if you're still waiting to take that step because you've got to sign the contract, then you're in a complete paralysation. But they took that step with the Pulev fight. They had the Pulev fight. They would have seen what the kind of numbers were off of that for, you know, pay-per-view buys. Um, they'd have some idea, I'm sure. I this, is, this is a time when you're just like, we need Steven Espinosa involved in this. Because, like... No Showtime fight ever took this long to arrange. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need one person who can make it happen and then everybody make an announcement about it. Preferably in the it's Middle just, East somehow, somewhere. It, Maybe in the Middle East, that'd be useful, wouldn't it, I suppose? It's just, <laughs> like, if you... Why doesn't well, he come out and make a statement? <laughs> Why haven't we heard? It, when, when you guys have talked before about the belts, the general... Um, the general sort of like attitude towards it was they've got a bit too much power in as much as they dilute their significance with flooding the market with all these belts uh, but um, they've also got too much significance amongst the boxing community and it distorts it as a marketplace but to some extent it would actually be better if at least one was seen as the absolute pinnacle. So they could then say, right, this is going for our, we're, we're, we're going to fight for, let's just, the, the, the WB fucking U, I don't know, WBU belt is being held on the 20th of June and there's you've got four fighters that people want to see fighting for. And this is when you've got to be ready for it. And people, like, for example, if FIFA said, right, the World Cup final is happening on the 20th of June, which teams want to play for it? We want you, one of you, they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll play, you know, we'll be ready for it. 
again, I know I've oversimplified here, but if if you just had some way of twisting people's arms instead of what you've you said, like Terry unreasonable. Like if I'm the WBC, for instance, I would be saying, right, this fight needs to take place by June thirtieth, and for that to take place, you need to have signed me a contract and returned it by April fifteenth. If I don't get that contract back, then we're not allowing that fight to happen. Move on, do something can, else. Can I can I propose another theory? And it's, it's, it's one that people get annoyed at me for talking about, but it's the cash flow theory, right? Now, I don't know who's had to put money in. Let's just say DAZN, Sky, and whoever had to put money in for Canelo v. Billy Joe. That's got to sit in escrow because otherwise the fight's not like, you know, the government, the sanctioning bodies don't care. So there's, there's X amount of million locked away of these guys working capital. Once that gets paid, if Joshua were to fight in the summer, you've now got to put collectively like a hundred million in a pot in escrow, which is going to stop people trying to make other fights happen. So it actually causes a logjam because then Canelo's got to dance again in September. So I don't know if you've got to wait for Canelo to just clear and then we'll start to get some serious talk, but it's just, it's a fucking disaster all around. Like this, this is why we hate professional boxing yep. for this reason here. You know, because everyone's talking about, oh, we've got to maximize the earnings for the fighters. Josh would be a richer man now if he had taken every fight the fans had wanted yeah. him to take. That's so true. Draw. That's, yeah. Imagine he fought Wilder twice, which he could have done by now. Because if, if it was reliable, you'd invest more emotion into it. Whereas when it's so unreliable, you the only way you can survive... Uh, I, like with your emotions in the sport is to just not give a fuck about it oh well I'll, I'll worry about it when it comes along the only fighter I think that we can from Britain that we can say who has gone down that career path of fighting all the people we'd hope they would probably fight Josh Taylor Josh Taylor is yeah. probably the only one that we've kind of gone there's no filler in there you've taken that fight then, that fight then, that fight then, that fight, leading all the way up to the Ramirez fight. But, you know, he's gone through that World Boxing Super Series. But before that, even when he was learning his craft, all of his fights were meaningful. All of them meant something to him and to us as fans and to, you know, his progress. No other fighter, I don't think you can genuinely say that about. Terry's 100% right. If the, if the focus is on making sure every boxer leaves this sport having monetized their career to the maximum potential, then they've done a shit job for Joshua. They've done a shit job for Fury. They've done a shit job for every heavyweight there because none of them have maximized what they could have done. Yeah. Not even that, but look at Joshua's sponsors. He's had the same sponsors probably since he turned pro. I'm still looking going, where's the Bentley sponsorship? Where's the Rolls-Royce sponsorship? Where's Joshua, you know, you know, elevating all of these brands. He doesn't. Like, it's been an absolute disaster from start to finish, if I'm being honest with you. And it worries me now because this has set a precedent in boxing around we all, we, we need to aim for the big cash out fight. And it's like, do you know what it's like? It's like an estate agent going, I'm not going to sell this house for 460,000. I'm going to sell it for 471,000 only. I'm going to wait until like, the £10 million pound house comes along. <laughs> you're like, mate, just keep selling the houses and just keep stacking that money. You'll get there eventually. But you can't wait for that one big 
hustle. You can't. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> so true. But but see, this is what's contributed to me legit not caring. Like I'm more excited about Jake Paul versus Ben Askren than anything in boxing right now that doesn't involve Dan Aziz, Denzel Bentley, or Craig Richards. They're is the you, only three said, boxers right now. Where was it you said it? Was it on the Porky's Corner one the other day? <laughs> where you would be more excited right now for Frotch versus Kawasaki than you would for any active fight. <laughs> yes, because I know what I'm getting. I'm getting two guys who aren't running away from each other. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with, when, when you said that, I sat with a wry smile thinking, <laughs> I completely agree. I completely agree. I would pay more money for Frotch Kawasaki than I would for Fury Joshua. Well, mate, that's why Triller are killing it for now. Now, I don't think it's sustainable for Triller, but you give us Mike Tyson, Roy Jones. I was more cons- I, I, I cared more about seeing Mike than I did about Roy because there are other guys that like to see Roy fight. But I bought into this idea that you're going to show me two fighting men in what I feel is a relatively safe environment, but I get to see them go at each other. And actually, I don't have to deal with two years of talk to get there. Uh-huh. Because... I, I'm genuinely less excited by Fury Joshua now than I would have been if they'd have just announced something six to 12 months ago. Right, it happens on that date. Why do we need the fucking build-up? It does my yeah. nut. It does my nut. And um, the thing is, promoters defend that as well. Defend the fact that they need a build-up. And that's worse what... than that is that fans defend those that are defending the build-up. Like, as fans, what are you getting out of this? Why are you wanking off about the fact that Hearn's building a fight up for six months? Like, surely as fans, you just want to see two men fight. You don't care about the peripheral. You do, there's something wrong. Mate, mate it's, why, it's why we watch fights on fucking Instagram and Twitter. We just love to see people going at it. Yeah, when you see 50 people in a fucking field in Leeds when they should be in <laughs> lockdown, but then stuff. Just throwing chairs at one another. Yeah, all right, I'll watch that. I'll, I'll pay pay-per-view for that. I... Gets in the middle and goes, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> Let it marinate, guys. <laughs> Come back here in three weeks. And so here's the problem for boxing, right? Let's go back, like, just from a British market. Three years ago, we got small hall boxing, if you want to go and watch that. Perfect. Then you kind of had some guys fiddling around on ITV and Channel 5, and they did their thing. Then you had Frank and you had Eddie, and it was like an established order. You kind of got what you were given from all of these guys. People like Trilla show up, and they're bidding for guys like Teofimo. Now I'm just like, okay, hold on. These guys are clearly spending that Tyson Jones Jr. money, but they're spending it wisely. And now they're giving me attraction fights, where I'm like, okay, I'll watch Jake Paul against Askren, because... I actually think Jake Paul's a hell of a boxer. I was talking to his trainer on Instagram and like I saw some of the little video clips that he sent. He, that's, that's a serious question because people haven't really touched on this. In the MMA world, Ben Askren is known as a tough son of a bitch. That's what they call him, right? If Jake Paul knocks this guy clean out, boxing gets a win over MMA. So there's a lot of stuff like just in terms of the culture where this fight becomes important. And Hearn hasn't delivered that kind of fight that's important for the culture, probably since Joshua Klitschko. 
That's that's my issue right now with Eddie Hearn. You haven't delivered it. I don't want to hear about Joshua Ruiz because that was going to be a knockover. It was just like a, a twist of fate that Ruiz knocked him out. And then they had to have the rematch. The fight that mattered for the culture was Joshua versus Klitschko. And Hearn hasn't delivered on that since. That's what, nearly four years now. That, that, that's why I always thought that boxing would end up eating itself. Like you had, you had a massive moment in British sporting history when you had Klitschko versus uh, Joshua versus Klitschko, and you had the whole of Wembley Stadium roaring, the two of them on, and then it come, it it, it ends the way it did with Joshua winning. Everyone goes mad, and then um, instead of going right, I'm going to get on this, I'm going to make the most of it. It was this sort of like self-indulgent and we rest and we let the whole thing soak in and all that time mma has been gradually chipping away chipping away constantly going right you're fighting him he's fighting you you're fighting him and people are getting more and more interested in oh this guy's i mean i don't i don't know anything about mma uh, or ufc or bellator or anything but I'm, I'm confident to say that I guarantee that when Joshua Klitschko happened, which is what, 2017? Yeah. You, you would have had fighters in there that have since gone up to their peak and then retired already. There's, there's, there's fighters that I never even heard of that have come in, smashed a load of people, won a load of titles, and now left. All in that space of time, and Joshua's still going... Um, unity makes the one time where I will, and then um, one day, and in the distant future, and Fury stand there, you know, going, well, you know, one day I'm going to just don't, I don't care anymore. I do not care about you fucking change shit. Just fight. And we'll still and don't forget how wank that undercard was. And we'll still be getting told that Joshua is learning on the job. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Which is weird because apparently Okoli's not learning on the job. No, Okoli's a fully seasoned professional, apparently. <laughs> but Joshua's learning. And, and, they, and they all parrot this yeah. out, bell you, hey, he's fucking learning on the job, right? He's only had like three fights and he's learning. He's learning. The fans need to leave off him, mate. He's fucking right, eh? And it's just like, no, he's a world champion. When you become world champion, like, we assume you've learned everything you need to know. That's kind of like completing Super Mario World, right? You spend ages trying to get to that point. You're like, I'm completing Super Mario World. Now let me go and fucking do Sonic the Hedgehog. Especially when you won the world title. Especially when you won a world title like five or six years ago on everyone. When did he fight Charles Martin? Oh, don't, don't. Wasn't that like 1993? I mean, fucking hell. Can I throw into the mix here? This one may not go down well in time for myself personally, uh, but I'll deal with that. Devin Haney. Like, Devin Haney picked up that WBC title how long ago? And then it all got franchise and blah, blah, blah. But 12 months-ish, he's been classified as a world champion. Devin Haney. And then there's all the talk about we could have Javonta Davis, we could have Ryan Garcia, we could have Devin Haney. Da, 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 da. Who do we get? Fucking Jorge Linares. Jorge did, Linares. I you, wait, wait, did I not say this would happen? I told you they would dig up Linares for Devin Haney. Jorge Linares. Because who, Linares is fragile. And, and then people justify it as it's a good learning, it's a good step up fight for Devin Haney. It's a good learning fight. He's a, he's a world champion. He's wait, a world wait, wait. champion. Wait, wait, 
But he right. was saying he wanted to fight Loma. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll beat Loma. Oh, okay. Now you've got Linares as a step-up fight. What? A step-up fight? You're a world champion. I don't blame Devin Haney for this. I'm sure if it was down to Devin Haney and you sat him in a room, he'd go, right, I'll have Garcia, Lomachenko, whatever, whatever. But nobody wants to give us those, like, the Javonta Davis and Ryan Garcia, Tiafimo Lopez, um, Devin Haney, Lomachenko. You could make so many good fights out of those, but it comes back to these promotional issues. Will A work with B? Will they marinate it, et cetera, et cetera? And we end up with Devin Haney, Jorge Linares, and then you still get people online justifying it, saying, well, it's fine because it's a good learning fight. It's a good step-up fight. Anyone that is taking a step-up fight should have their world title stripped. Yes. Here's, here's the irony about that whole thing, right? And this is why pr promoters just get on people's nuts so quickly. No one thought Teofimo would beat Loma. I did. I, I had an inkling. I, I did. I declared it. I went balls out. I remember you, you tweeted that, didn't you? Garcia beats Luke Campbell. Teofimo Lopez beats Lomachenko. And the thing about that was, thank you. Very when much. that happened, it took Teofimo from like a four out of ten guy to like eight or nine out of ten. And so, you know what Hearn's like? He has to do that IFL thing on the Monday, right? Every Monday. And he just sticks his nose in other people's business. Yeah, I can't see why Devin Haney can't fight Javante. Not Javante. I can't see why Devin Haney can't fight Teofimo Lopez. Teofimo Lopez is fighting Cambosos for a combined purse of six million quid. You're telling me the zone don't have that money. They couldn't just say to Teofimo, listen, here's some money, fight Devin Haney. They could, but Hearn doesn't want to do that. All Hearn likes to do, and they've mastered this machine really well. On Monday, he sets the agenda for the boxing discussion. And he goes, yeah, I can see this fight happening. What I know for certain is, take it out of the zone empire, Hearn cannot make any fights. That's what we need to agree on now. Hearn can't make a single big fight. Whereas we know Al Heyman can, and we know Bob Aram can, because they've done it. Hearn doesn't make massive fights across promotional barriers. And we, we don't talk about this because in the UK, I think Hearn has squeezed Warren to the point of like, he's like the black rhino at the moment. Like you're worrying about whether your grandkids will get to see the black rhino. You're like, will my, will, will my kids ever get to see a Frank Warren show? I stress about this. I believe they will, because he's a great man who will achieve great things. Living legend. Like, never sued me. Got a lot of time for him. Him and I are going to do some business in Latin America one day. Excited by the prospect. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I'll come back to this. Right? <laughs> Eddie's getting frozen out at the top table. I, I don't know if it's that people don't like him. I don't know if that they're threatened by him. But he's getting frozen out at the top table. So he's trying to turn a sow's ear into a silk purse. I wish Hearn would just, just shut up for a year. Can we just have a year where he just shuts up, no IFL, tell Coogan Cassis to go and interview Ray Van Barnevel and Phil Taylor, just focus on darts and let the boxing happen outside of that. No, it's like watching Hearn, Hearn work with boxing, it seems to, just think about it then. It's like, you know, when you go shopping at H&M, and you go, you go through the racks, and there's very little that's of any interest. And you start, well, that's all right. I could get that. I could get that. And you end up spending 40 quid on a load of shit. 
The one time you go in there in approximately two or three years and you go, fuck me, a Ralph Lauren jacket. Yo, I'll have some of that. And it's 40 quid and you think, that is money well spent. Brilliant. But every other time you go in there, it's just wank hey, on the shelf. TK Maxx, don't you? Yeah, you're thinking TK Maxx, not H&M. Oh, sorry, TK Maxx. It's, come on, yeah. get your clothes shop, right? <laughs> it shows how much I go in there. Well, it has been a year since I've been to a clothes shop. <laughs> um, but longer yeah. Than longer than that. Or a barber. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's like that's that's what it reminds you of TK Maxx, and you, and, um, and you'd sort of and it will sell you crap throughout the year of the promise of something coming eventually, and then sells you that one thing, tries to make loads of money out of it, like sell, makes money on selling you duds all throughout the year, and then tries to make a big bonanza on the one thing he's basically tried to sell you in snippets. Also, like you end up picking up some dodgy like outfit that you know deep down on face value it doesn't look very good <laughs> but you take it home and you wear it out that night and you somehow get laid with a 20 out of 10 bird and like that that outfit has paid off and it's better than anyone could have hoped for I mean, I've done that before away with it. <laughs> I remember I bought a jacket in a 42 even though I knew it wouldn't fit but I could just about squeeze the arms in if I held, if I just relaxed, I could get my arms in, but I couldn't button it up. So the jacket's just flared out at the sides. But I was like, I'm gonna rock this. Yeah. That's your, that is TK Maxx 101. And then like, and just like you said about those guys online, that's like you going to TK Maxx and going, oh yeah, that looks good. I love some of that. Wearing it out that night, and all you mates go, what the fuck is that? And you go, uh, well, it's uh, it's fucking good, yeah. Look, it's fucking Armani Bonucci. That's the, that's the shit. That's a that's a good make. And everyone's like, ah, fuck off. And, and then you best you just like the guys online defending her. And you will go to your grave telling everyone that Armando Bonucci is the fuck is the best thing since sliced bread. Well, that's but the, he does that, Andy. Right? Like whenever like you'll see Canelo wear something, and then you will see her oh, wear like the ASOS version of it. When he turned up at that press conference in those Dolce & Gabbana pyjamas, oh. that was possibly the most simp thing I've ever seen from a human being. It was embarrassing. You know when you're like, mate, you're a father and a husband. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you've, you've actually turned up in those pyjamas because your new best mate, Canelo, gave them to you. Oh, come on. Come on. Like... If somebody ever queries how much does dignity cost, like that, whatever he made from that fight, that's what your dignity costs. <laughs> you can put a price on it. But it is, I, I, I'm, I'm gonna ask you guys a question. Name me a fight that you were looking for, in the last two years, name me a fight that you've looked forward to that didn't disappoint in Britain. Josh Taylor, Reggie Progre. Is that in the last two years, maybe? Yeah, yeah, I think it's just about, yeah. That's the one that springs to mind. Yeah, not, not, not her organised at all. That just that was the luck of the draw. Oh, yeah, well, my, my go-to, and I think it's been two years, is Fury Wilder 2. Yep. Yeah. You, f funny how we're not even talking about Matrim at this point. No? <clears throat> no, not at all. I mean, I'm... No. And I know everything that you ever say about boxing over the last 12 months is always going to be, it happened in a COVID environment, therefore 
budgets were smaller, etc., etc. I kind of there's always going to be that asterisk next to everything. But when you've given me fight camps where the highlights were talking about an omelette because you had Eggington and Cheeseman, then Egg and there's, cheese. <laughs> there's a massive problem. Mm. No, but go back to the genesis of fight camp. I remember the IFL interview. Cougs, four weekends, I have no time for filler. Do you remember this? No, no time no for filler. Fights. No easy fights. Now go back through that whole thing. Apart from White Povetkin, which wasn't meant to be a hard fight, you only really had Cheeseman Eggington out of that, but there were two guys heading in completely different directions. And I don't even know, I don't know. I just, I, I came to the conclusion then that Hearn doesn't care about the fans. And when I think about this, I always think about Hearn, particularly when he, the way he treated Joshua, with how the music industry treated Drake. So they find this artist in Drake and he's from an industry family and there's money in that family. And they go, look, here's a mixed race kid with light skin who's got the Canadian sensibility. We can market him as a rapper. Fuck hardcore hip hop fans. We do not care what they think. We're not gonna market them to, we won't market Drake to hardcore fans. We're gonna market Drake to women his age and guys who wear trousers that are too tight. And so they did this for years until he crossed over and started getting hits, knowing that everyone was gonna jump on the Drake bandwagon because as human beings were scared of missing out. And so Hearn has tried to do this repeatedly. He, he managed to do it with Joshua. Because remember, like the hardcore fans didn't like Joshua past a certain point. After the Martin fight, we're like, he's a clown. And so the world moved away and so the hardcore had to jump back on and go, right, we need to be on this thing because it's what makes us relevant if we're hardcore boxing fans. And so I watched this evolve and I've realized Hearn doesn't actually care about boxing fans. His product is for sale to people who have next to no knowledge of boxing because he can just fill their heads with whatever he wants to and they'll buy it. But that's been evident for, for a long, long time since we've been doing this, hasn't it? It's yeah. And, and it's not even it's not even a criticism to be fair like it's not a criticism of him as a boxing promoter no. ultimately his job is to make as much money as possible for himself for his boxers for his network or networks these uh, days go back to the early ifl interviews he used to do he's like listen i'm a hardcore fan just like you lot i want to make this fight i want to make that fight Phone the office. If you've got something to say, phone the office. You can find the number on the internet. Phone the office. I'll talk to any fan. Do you remember? I can find the video where he says all of this stuff. And, yeah. so, and so I'm like, how much of that is still in Eddie Hearn? Do you see what I mean? Like, there, there has to be that duality where you've grown up in boxing. So there are fights you must want to see as a fan. And I'm like, so then when does that that love of boxing as a fan get diluted by that reality of the balance to maximize your money. There's definitely, there's definitely a part of it. I think that exists. There's a cult, the culture in boxing where even if Eddie Hearn wakes up one day and goes, you know what? I do want to make this, this fight happen. Everyone in boxing is um, almost empowered to, or expected to by the culture to be like, well, hold on. What's in it for me? And why are we doing it then? If we did it then, then I could do this. 
And if we did it then, I could make more money there. And if we just held off until this time, do you know what I mean? There was the one example, wasn't there, of um, Luke Campbell Lomachenko, where he over, like, according to his narrative of it and his telling of the story, was that he overpaid Lomachenko to come over and fight Luke Campbell because not necessarily he thought Luke Campbell could win and therefore he should give him the home advantage, but because boxing fans over here had been praying and calling out for a Lomachenko fight in the UK. And so by his admission, they lost a lot of money on that because pay-per-view sales were so bad and the purses were so high. Da, da, da. So that would always be his go-to is, look, I have, I have tried to make these purest fights that people want to see, but we're a business and we can't just keep making that and siphoning money out of it. We also need to, to make money. Therefore, here's Eggington Cheeseman. I can live with that, right? But Hearn has a stable where he could just go, actually, look, I've got a lot of guys here who are making a living and in some cases nicking a living, just put them in with each other, you know? Just put them in with each other. Because, and I, I always go back to the, the Avanesian fight for Josh Kelly. Now, it's a fight that I've kind of lived. I went back and forth on social media with Carl Griggs about this because I, like, I remember the night of the phantom illness because as I've told you guys, I was in Sheffield with, with Team Kelly and I know Adam Booth went to Caldwell's gym the day after, ran a session for the kids, which you don't do if your guy's sick, right? And then they just left immediately after. So you're like, okay, you guys clearly didn't want this fight. And so I look at that and I go, okay, here's an example of a, a fight where Eddie Hearn will try and tell you, oh, I want you to put Josh in. And I'm like, mate, this was a dangerous fight. Like you've underestimated Avanesian, but what you've done is you found yourself someone you can sell to the Americans all of a sudden because he's got the Lamont Peterson factor and so forth. You can sell him to the Americans. He's beaten Shane Mosley. And that's when you realize, man, fucking hell, Hearn, he's just out for himself, isn't he? You know, no matter who fights, who wins, who loses, the institution which is matchroom must always prevail. That's what frustrates me. It's the old Don King thing of walking in with uh, one fighter and then walking out with the winner. Oh, was that Frazier Foreman? <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it Frazier? I can't remember who it was. It might have been. Where he walks in with one, that fighter loses, so he walked out with the other. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it was Frazier Foreman in Jamaica. And then that's when the rumble in the jungle starts getting planned. Yeah. And then you'd end up with Hearn on IFL talking about it afterwards, how much he loved the loser. But, you know, the future is the winner. And... Again, like these things aren't necessarily a criticism. People kind of interpret it as, um, as being a criticism. I don't necessarily think it is. Like at the end of the day, he runs an incredibly successful business. He gives fighters a living, some of whom maybe don't deserve it. And <laughs> he puts on cards that on the whole keep a number of fans. I'm not even going to use the term boxing fans, but fans happy and they come back for more of it. Who am I to criticise that? Like, I can't do that. I haven't got as big a personality as her, and I haven't got the money, the backing, all these things. Fair play to him for doing it. Fair fucks to him, because he sacrificed a lot of his personal life to be able to do it. You can't argue that you are in it for boxing fans, because if you were, 
you would be putting on more fans at fights uh, fights that fans demand. So you can't take that argument. You can't make that argument. But that's where you were saying earlier, Terry, just shut up for 12 months. Just shut up for 12 months. Let boxing run. Put fights on without all the hype and the build-up. Look at that pay-per-view coming up with um, Chisora Parker as the, the headline. Fucking hell. How long did we have? Was it two, three weeks of like hype and build-up on IFL about how good that card was going to be? For it to be announced, like he said it was going to be the biggest and best card, a bonanza, the biggest card I've ever put on and you've ever seen as a boxing fan. What's the headline? Chisora Parker. Fuck me. Can I just say, one of the things I do like about Hearn is (laughs) there is no yesterday and there is no tomorrow when it comes to Eddie Hearn. There is just right now. Immediacy. Yeah, there's a real skill in that. Do you know what? He's like the sort of guy, you know, like when you're a student, he'd come into the student night. It it always had to be a Monday. Monday night, he'd come into wherever it was. It's a pound for double vodkas. He'd come in and he'd say to him, I love you. Yeah, he said, I love you. And then he'd shag her and never talk to her again. Like literally walk past her with the girl he's got for the next night and just go, oh, hi, and just walk past. Like he's got that in him. And that's a rare skill. That thing of I'm going to live in the moment and I'll deal with whatever consequences come later. In fact, I won't even deal with them. I'll just pretend they're not there. Yeah, I mean, who's ever watched an old IFL interview? Sometimes I do, just to, you know. But, you know, you... You might, but I guarantee if, I don't know, say a thousand people watch an IFL interview with Hearn, say 10,000, out of that, one person might go back and watch it again in 12 months to hold him to account. Nobody else is. It's just, it's disposable viewing, isn't it? It's nobody needs to keep it. Cougar's definitely not doing that, man. Fucking hell. He was adamant. He will never do that. I I am not Paxman. But yeah, yeah. No, as I say, I there's part of me over time that I think it's as I've got, and I am more and more disengaged from the sport generally yeah. because it fucking it bores me at times. And the fact that you can't get the fights that make sense and that you want to see, and I know that's been historically the case for years and years and years. But we did go through a purple patch of boxing being hot for a couple of years, a few years. The fact that we're getting a more and more diluted product over here and the supply chain seems to be drying up a little bit means that my interest isn't as high as it was. I, I, well, didn't, I didn't watch the Frampton fight. I, I had no interest in it whatsoever. None of it. And whether that's because... I think what it what, the whole thing felt a bit like a soccer aid match. Like, yeah. I had no interest in it. It was... Frampton, who we knew was past his best, fighting at a weight that he shouldn't be fighting at, fighting out of a gym that seems to have done him no favours. <laughs> fighting on a... Ch- you know how ITV only gets soccer aid? They don't get any other football during the year. Yeah. Like, Channel 5 have somehow ended up with a world title fight that was meant to be on BT Sport and then wasn't on BT Sport and then ended up... It was going to be on IFL and then it just, like, a week before, landed on Channel 5... I was half expecting Jonathan Wilkes on it. It was... I had no interest in it at all because it was all slightly farcical. And I thought, I, I can't get on board with this. And it didn't sit comfortably... I don't, I don't want to be an aftertimer. I don't want to be an aftertimer. But Carl Frampton is... He's a 
Mate, did you, see, did, you see his, did you see his tweet about people holding pads in parks? Fuck does he care? Andy, <laughs> did you see this? No. Oh, Buncey. Buncey's fuck it. He's lost the plot. Honestly, like someone needs to change his Twitter password for his benefit. <laughs> so um he put out a tweet was it last weekend, week before, something like that. Basically saying about how he'd walked through a park that day and he'd seen people hitting pads in the park and that shouldn't be allowed and that you're basically taking work off of a boxer. What? Okay, so Terry rule find, number one. I'm going to find the tweet as well so that I don't so that I don't get the wording wrong. But Terry's rule. It'll probably one. be more nonsense. To be fair, mate, I I don't want any boxer taking people on pads. Like you're fucking your joints up. Like you're 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 basically shortening your own career by doing so. Like <laughs> fucking hell, Steve Burns, man. Oh, it, honestly, it was so funny that. Guys, fucking mom. I'm sorry. I I I know people will lose their mind when I start giving people shit like that, but. Once he's a mong, he's a he's a mongoloid. <laughs> oh shit! You know you want to get pulled up for that one, by the way. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care anymore. We did this once in a blue moon, so fucking swivel. You know what I mean? If you got a problem with it, swivel. Mate, you, you're out Can't here looking like fucking Andy Lee, <laughs> just raging like. It's just like the, the, the weird things that you hear him say. It's like um. You know, like me and you were talking about, you know, when, when guys used to punch, and I don't mean punch. I mean, you know, when I say punch, you know what I mean? Like me and you, me and you, we know about punching, don't we? You know, back in the old days, when you sit in the front row and you really feel the sweat and the spit and the blood and the tears coming through the, and then hit you, and you really feel the punches, didn't you, Mike? Didn't you, Mike? You know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm going to be off tangent here, but stay with me. Here we go. Just, here we go. I've got the tweet. Walked through parts of West London today. I have seen five men taking people on pads in the parks. Sorry, I have seen five men fleecing punters in the park. Real fighters could do with the work. Cowboys with pads. <laughs> so if you're, if you're a PT, if you're... Or say, for instance, at the time it wasn't illegal, I could take um, Claire down the park, my wife, with some pads. Now, granted, I have a license, but if I didn't, I could take my wife down the park with the pads, get her to hit him, and if Buncey saw it, he'd have an issue with it. Because I'm taking work off of Josh Taylor. He could do it at work right now. I should have brought Josh up and said, you know, you want to come and do pads? You know what I feel like doing? Like, I feel like saying to Steve, Steve, not everyone who hits pads wants to box. Just, just, I, I know it's alien to you, Steve. Steve, I know it's going to blow your mind, but some people just want to hit something because they're cooped up in their house all fucking week and they just need to let some energy out. I'm right? a prime example of that. I'm a prime example of that. I absolutely love everything about the boxing training. I was in the army. I love the boxing training, the running, the, the fears, the specific exercises. But somebody said to me once, don't ever box if you don't want to get punched in the face and it was the easiest decision from that point i ever had to make you've got a punch bag in your garage in there. yeah and i, and I guarantee if you need you need to stop using it because you are Mate, where's your garage world champion <laughs> what behind the house huh? 
Mate. So it's the row in front, and then there's a there's a side road. You go up the back there, and there's like two garages, which are our garages. Or well, one of them's ours. Michaela's done well for herself. Fuck me. Well, I mean, you're right. Just look at me. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, man. You, you, you went from fucking Polish barmaids to a woman with her own place and the double garage, mate. <laughs> I, I, I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how the... I, I don't know what the recipe for that success is, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow, let me get in the ring with the best in the world. You know what I mean? That's what I say. works. Let's Your punch bag is taking work off of legitimate boxers. I mean, like, you, if, you watch, if you watched me punch that heavy bag... I guarantee no, no, anyone who gave themselves any ounce of boxing credibility would look at me and go, I want to get involved with this guy because he knows what he's doing. <laughs> look, it comes down to the problem with guys like Steve Bunce. They're becoming an anachronism in a sport that's going in a completely different direction. And this is what I mean. Like, go back to those two Frank Warren shows on the Friday and the Saturday. Brilliant shows. They were dog shit. If you want, they were dog shit. I I saw the lineup, and then I said to myself, "So Denzel's going to fight Felix Cash on April twenty fourth, and you're going to have Anthony Yard, and you're going to have Callum Johnston fighting people we don't even know." Okay, fine, but why would you just put Yard and Johnson on the Friday and the Saturday? At least have someone to anchor it, so I've got a reason to watch. You put, you could have put that whole card together, and I would have hated it. And I looked, and I, so then afterwards, mate, I did an episode, right, where I basically eviscerated Frank. And I know, I, knew I, listened, that. I listened to it. No, 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 no. There's another one that oh. I, I never let drop because I, I didn't want to get the letter. No, so, you know? so when I saw those cards on paper, the Frank Warren, where you got the Friday and the Saturday ones, I rang up BT and I said, how much extra is this going to cost me to watch? Because these are blinding. Oh no, it's still recording. Uh, we have lost Martin and Terry, and I'm hoping they're going to come back. Mm, isn't that they are? He, he knows his way around the ring, and you've got to give Pat Barrett credit for that. Yeah. So I don't mind listening to Lyndon Arthur, but when I saw the, the lineup, I was like, Oh, this is definitely the bin juice. And I just said, nah, no, thank you. <clears throat> I'm gonna look out for the for the for the passive aggressive tweets that will come my way at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> I actually lost you both then. Uh, I lost you for about 20 seconds. So I don't know if we'll get all of that. But... I was just I was just saying how much I enjoyed those Frank Warren cards. And when I rang up BT to ask how much additionally I should be paying to watch both of them, they said nothing. And I said no. Okay, so I'm going to ask you guys a question. Did you ask to make a donation because they were so good? I did. So I'm going to ask you a simple question. Martin, name me five Frank Warren fighters you're excited to watch. Sonny Edwards, number one. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) 
number two, Charlie Edwards. He's all right. Charlie's all right. Uh, nah. Genuinely, Joe Joyce, I've, I've been on board the Joe Joyce bandwagon from day one. So yeah. he'll always, he'll always interest me. Um, Dubois, you know, I'm intrigued to see his comeback and see where he goes. Um, Lyndon Arthur, because he was so well disciplined against um, Yard that I want to see what else he's got when he steps up another level. Yard, I'm always intrigued about because I, I probably echo the sentiment of lots of other people that there's something there. <laughs> and if you could unlock all of it, I'm sure it's fantastic. But I'm not sure we've seen it unlocked yet. Yeah. The fifth one. Um, Dennis McCann, but give him three years before I'm actually excited about him. Because someone asked me the same question, and I just said, Joe Joyce, Denzel Bentley, Dennis McCann. For yeah, guys who... I, I should have I put watched, Denzel Bentley in there, I apologise. Yeah. Guys I'm watching going, I think you can do something. There's only three. Now, how many boxes has Frank Warren got on his website, Martin? Uh, I would Is it three? <laughs> <laughs> no, because there's Sonny Edwards as well. Right, okay. So I'd ask. Fuck's sake! Fuck's sake! Are you going to watch his world title fight? No! I'm fucking not, mate, alright? I'm fucking right. Uh, how many websites, uh, how many boxes on the website? Probably 40 to 50? 74. Woo! 70, they can't all be active, can they? No, but this is my point. Frank's got a stable of 74 and we're struggling to think of five people we want to watch. Is it? What? Yeah, but is that like leaving them on the list after they retire so it bolsters your, your stable more? Is there like a 56-year-old no, no, like heavyweight on there? If, if that's the case, no. and that's a housekeeping issue. Someone ought to be sorting that shit out. Yeah, I was like, you've got 74 boxes on this website and I want to see three. Born and, and, in 1907? I don't understand. He's still active. <laughs> no, and, and, and look, there are guys that could turn my, my opinion around, like Sam Noakes and so forth, but they haven't done enough. Frank's literally... I always go back to this. In the 80s, you had Vincent McMahon and a guy called Jim Crockett, and they were the main two guys in wrestling, right? The WWF and the NWA. The WWF was all about big superstars, big characters, big events lights, camera, action. Jim Crockett Promotions, the NWA, was proper wrestling. Like, you know, guys just literally rolling around on the floor doing fucking headlocks and arm locks, right? Which one survived? The WWE, because it gave you a reason to watch every week. And Frank hasn't really cottoned on to the fact that we need reasons to watch every week. You can't just be telling me this guy won two Harringay box cups and he might have won an NABC as a kid. I don't give a fucking monkeys, right? I don't care about that stuff. I probably saw him fight for those titles. This is a pro game. Give me reasons to be excited. Yeah, but then on the other side of the aisle, we've got exactly like the Vincent, Vincent Mann sort of like um, sort of side of the things has been taken up by Eddie Hearn and his answer to all that is to create these stories that go, they're just like it's a saga, it's like a Lord of the Rings saga in terms of its scale between each fight. I've, I've just sent through, I went and checked on the Queensbury website 
Look at the screenshot I've just sent you. Tell me, is that Liam Williams photo photoshopped? <laughs> Wait, hold on. <laughs> it has to be. Oh, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> His head's <laughs> too big. Right now, go on the Queensbury promotion website and look at their fighters and scroll down to Liam Williams. There is no way that is his head on that body. Unless his neck's like a mile long. No, that head's far too big for that. Somebody's that looks like a Paddy Power promotion or something. That that picture. <laughs> that is not. There's no way. <laughs> that is ridiculous. There is no way that is. Look, look at all the other fighters. I mean, I know his his little figurine is a bit bigger, but look at their heads in proportion to their bodies. He's like he's wearing a giant mask across his face that you cut out of the sun on a Saturday. Yeah. Oh, he looks like. Do you remember those little um, footballers, the tiny little ones that you'd get with like a, a big head and then a little body, <laughs> like Alan Shearer and Vieri. You'd get all them, Henri. Like a wobble head or whatever they were. Oh Something my stars! That's incredible. Uh, fuck you know I'm gonna scroll through the rest of these now. Should we just should we just call him should we just call him in for a photo photo op? Nah, just plug <laughs> that face onto that body. But people will notice, surely. Not in my skills, mate. Not with my uh, skills. No, it's fine, because we've got 75 other fighters on here that people are gonna scroll through. But it's <laughs> but but mate, you've gone through it, right? It's insane. The number still, of people I'm still on. going through it now. I don't know <laughs> Henry Turner, Ethan James. Oof. Masood Abluda, Mark Chamberlain. I, I don't know most of this lot. It's because they're still marinating. They're in the fridge overnight. <laughs> they're like the chicken that you've only just put the, the, the stuff onto and you're leaving it to, to marinate. Joshua, right, he's he, he's only just come out of the pot. He hasn't even started cooking yet because he's still learning. That, I mean, it's, it's difficult to get your head around, but, you know, once you understand, you can start... <laughs> But but you look at you look at Warren Stable right now, and you go, if Dennis McCann doesn't fulfil his potential, I don't see what's there. I don't see what's left for him because Joyce wants out of there, right? I don't care what anyone tries to tell me. Joyce and Sam Jones want out of there as soon as possible. Um, when Denzel beats Felix Cash, his instincts would be like, why am I not a matron? And I'm, I am speaking as someone who's a fan of Denzel at the moment with no inside information on his decisions, by the way. But I can see him looking like, why am I not on the, on the number one network? Do you see what I mean? Frank's, Frank is literally on that bleeding edge of, you might just become a Channel 5 promoter if you get a couple more defeats. Feel free not to comment, Martin. I, I understand, like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a minefield. <laughs> Sometimes Martin is just speechless. I mean, I mean, he's sitting there now, mouth aghast. He's so speechless. Still scrolling, by the way. Still scrolling down. Um, what? So the matchroom sky thing that you mentioned earlier—that's purely that's purely in relation to how many. Is that is that purely a Joshua thing, or is that just generally matchroom and sky are, com are coming to an end of their agreement? So, so every three years, Matchroom and Sky agreed to, you're going to do this many shows, Sky going to put this much money in, 
and you're going to take this much money out, Eddie. And they keep doing that on an ongoing basis. Now, what seems to have happened that is only becoming clear now is Joshua has a separate agreement. Now, we don't know how it works. From what I understand, Joshua has a contract with Sky, which says you, you will be broadcasting the UK on this platform, right? And Sky then subcontract those promotional rights to Eddie Hearn in conjunction with the existing agreement they already have. It's, it's all a bit messy. And that's why when DAZN came to the UK, they didn't have access to the Joshua fights for that exact reason, that Sky have a primary contract with Anthony Joshua that's then subcontracted out. It's, I don't know, you know, that's probably better lawyers than me figured that one out, but. Thatcher's Rosé, is that? Rosé, yeah. What the? What is that when he's at home? Mate, it's just a cider. I can process this while I, you know, I, I know I can go to bed. Anyway, I've never heard of Rosé Cider. Mate, come on, man. Get with the times. Look, that's why you got that Ben Fogel beard, man. You've been like in a time capsule. I've been head under a rock in Mars all this time, and I just don't know. Is, is that how you had your beard in the rock, Andy? No. Although, you probably could have grown one out there. The, the ironic thing with um, the army is that, well, certainly when I was in, is that they would say to you, you can't have a beard because it affects the gas mask seal that goes around your face. But if you of a specific faith in the military, you could. So apparently if you're of a specific faith, it meant that either gas masks didn't help you or probably that it was bullshit. Um, um, and... But yet, when you was on military uh, on tour, operational tour, on exercise, when it should, well, not so much exercise, but when you was on operational tour, when it should actually matter whether a gas mask has a seal or not, people just grow beards and moustaches, and you did, you just wouldn't shave every day because it'd be a nose. So it was it was really odd when you were in camp when there was absolutely no risk. It was like, oh, have you had a shave today? What? What difference does it make? So yeah, that was fucking oh. annoying. I was off making a coffee and my coffee machine makes a shitload of noise. So, hence why I went on mute. Ah, well, yeah, thanks for warning us. But we, we held it down, don't we? we? You know, we held it down. No, we well, like I, heard, I, heard I heard you. You didn't want to hear my coffee machine, trust me. Yeah, um, classy Buns and Costello. Well, yes, and Martin came back from making his coffee, which when I was a young lad in Earlsfield, being able to make coffee was like a miracle. Wasn't that right, Steve? Yes, 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 you can make coffee. <laughs> Buns would hate my coffee machine. It's a, a proper bean to cup one that like you put the beans in, it crushes them up and it turns into, it's taking a job away from a barista in Costa somewhere. Oh, you, people like or, you, or mate, one of those ladies sick. in AMT. Yeah, yeah, so I'm taking a job away from them via my machine, so fuck them. Maybe, yeah, you've had a shocker. You've had an absolute... <laughs> Shall we move on to Sowland Wasserman Link? How, how long have we been on it? I'm knackered. It's 10 o'clock. A long time. And I would like to wrap it up as soon as possible. Hey, Sorry, you started late, man. Now, come on. It's the way I roll. I write my own agenda. I'm just like all the boxers. You literally didn't write an agenda. I had to write it. <laughs> yeah. That's because I've run to my own schedule. Look at that. Look at it. It's Mate, why is one why is only one bit grey? I don't know. Shit, Mine doesn't have to be fair. Mine goes grey down the bottom there. 
Same as Andy's. Do you know what? Andy should just start singing country and western. Agree. What? Right now? Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, let's find a tune. Jolene. 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 That's all that. That's working nine till five. Why do we to make a little, little, what are they called? The little Ukulele. guitars. Ukulele. I mean, yeah, you've got to just be sat there. Like, what, what are those little guitars called? Yeah. You've got to be sat there like the banjo. No, ukulele, I was talking about. Um, Although, with this, with this beard. On down with this beard, Alabama, arguably a banjo is more appropriate. I put a noose around his it neck. But I never told his mama. I was walking down the road in Southern Alabama. I put a noose around his neck, but I never told his mama. <laughs> I used to assume you'd have a really good singing voice, though. I used to. That's terrible. I thought you'd have a good singing voice. I was proven wrong. Nah, man. Listen, I embarrassed myself just then, but it was worth it for the for the fans. Um, I remember someone, someone once wrote one of our, uh, I think it was an iTunes like, review, something about, um, I think, I'm sure it was about me saying, oh, he just likes to sing too often, is hear his own voice. <laughs> I thought, well, listen, I'm sure there's some that I wish Terry would just shut up. Yeah, yeah. Good on them. They were right. I do love 100%. them. 100%. So fuck them. Do you yeah. know what? I, I, lo I love the, the one of the our very first uh, reviews, which was... Uh, didn't know who Danny Jacobs was. What is that who it was? Because I didn't know. I didn't know who they were. Uh, yeah. Okay. So now I do know who <laughs> that. I was hoping that I wouldn't know who that person was. Yeah. Yeah. The review was something like, "This is absolutely atrocious." One of them on there didn't even know who Danny Jacobs was. <laughs> All these years later, you still have no idea who Danny Jacobs well, is. Well, I know him by face, but I couldn't tell you one person he's for. Glock. You could, I oh know, surely you could get it, get it right. Come on. Uh, the motherfucker literally had cancer and came back from it and fought Canelo and Golovkin. I know he's got big ears. He's got big ears, isn't he? <laughs> That's what we boiled it down to. Of all of the attributes <laughs> that Danny Jacobs is synonymous with, he's got big ears. Hey, that's why Hearn does what he does. And that is a journey. And do you know what? When you, If you ever want to hear me talking about Danny Jacobs with any authority, all I say to you is this. Let it marinate. Let it fucking marinate. <laughs> one, <laughs> one day I'll tell you about the ins and outs of Danny Jacobs, but it'll be for $19.99 and it'll be on Sky Pay-Per-View. <laughs> no, no, for us it'll be on Patreon. <laughs> All the levels. Oh, right. Did you want to chat about Wassam and Sourland? Yeah. Well, I mean, on 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 the agenda that you've now informed everyone that I didn't write. Yes. <laughs> you know, I did. I did want to talk about Sourland Wasserman. <laughs> yeah. So Wasserman, who are sports agency, represent big names across multiple sports have had dabblings in boxing before through the likes of George Groves, um, have seemingly bought 
the Sowerland brothers, like as a business, not as a pair of not like human trafficking, hopefully. And not and not their business empire with the Mexicans. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> maybe they have bought that as well. Who knows? Um yeah, so they've bought them. So this this comes off the back of what um, six weeks ago when it came out that Chris Eubank Jr. had signed with the Sourlands, and it was announced to like grand fanfare and whatever. As you expect, you know, he's still a legitimate name, even if we don't really know why. Um, but yeah, Eubank Jr. signs with the Sourlands, and I think it's probably fair to say me, amongst lots of other people, were thinking. Why? Like, why? Why would you sign with the Sourlands? You, who's he been through now? Like, Hearn, Warren, Hennessy, Poxon, PBC, and then he's ended up with the Sourlands. Um, and then it comes out a few weeks later. The Sourlands have been bought by Wasserman. So now, what is the next step? Like, now you've you know you're Wasserman. You've bought the Sourlands, a boxing entity. What are you going to do with it? So. I mean, that's kind of where we're at, is waiting for the next part of the, the process. I have a feeling I know what it'll be, but... So I have issues with it, because they had Chris Congo for a bit, if you remember. Yes. That didn't seem to work out very well. Um, I, know they've got, I don't know if they, they've still got Conor Ben under contract, but I know they... They were instrumental in Conor Ben getting the Reebok deal. So it's it's almost like swings and roundabouts, right? It looks like Wasserman need the, the right sorts of individuals in order to make the proposition work. And I think it's it's those sort of Eubank type, Ben type characters where they already have some name brand recognition. Now, what I like about them is they have links into broadcasters. That's always an advantage. So Wasserman have strong links into all the broadcasters but they also have that, that machine, right? But they have a real machine behind them that when we look at Matchroom, for example, and we compare it to Queensbury, we always say Matchroom was so much slicker at everything than Queensbury. I think the gap between Matchroom and Wasserman is the same between Frank Warren and Matchroom. They're, they're just slick. Now, can you then take what is a, essentially a cottage industry that is boxing, and can you make it feel like the NHL the MLB, the NFL, or even the Premier League. That's going to be their hard part. How, how do you crack boxing, a sport that many have tried to fix and no one's been able to? Yeah, a sport where nobody has access to anyone else's calendar in the office. Yeah, think about <laughs> Al Heyman spent half a billion trying to get everyone's availability. Which is only half as much as Eddie turned up with. <laughs> oh, yeah. I wonder how much of that he spent now. About £4.80, I believe. Mm. I love that. Yeah, we've got a billion to play with. And Canelo's like, no, 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 Eddie. I, I think I have a billion to play with. You know, you can have the bits that are left over. I, th I think that Sourland stuff will be interesting to see where it ends up. Um, Wasserman, I think, will tap into um you know the new form of um of broadcast deals what that looks like youtube amazon prime something like that um wouldn't surprise me at all to see them 
see them partner up. You look at Amazon Prime and their, you know, their offering is tennis, it's rugby, it's football. Um, they don't they don't go hard on any of them. They haven't got the biggest Premier League package. They don't show every Grand Slam for the tennis. They don't show all the rugby. They show some of the Premier League stuff. It would fit into that service offering to add in part of a boxing package. So you don't need the biggest stable. You don't need every Saturday night. You just, <clears throat> for right. everyone who's already paying for their Amazon Prime, so they get next day delivery, so they get a few Premier League games, you give them a bit of boxing every now and then. If that bit yeah. of boxing is Chris Eubank Jr. once every three months, cool, I'm already paying you £10 a month for everything else. If I get that for free on top of it, blinding. So I think that's the key, isn't it? It's what's Amazon's long-term play? Because once you start moving that prime price point to 10 or 12 quid a month, it becomes problematic. For I mean, it does. I wouldn't even notice, if I'm honest. Like, I don't know what I pay now. It's like Netflix. Mate, yeah, I, I know what I pay for Netflix. And if it wasn't for my mum loving, loving the Netflix, I'd have deleted it. Man. I, I don't even watch it that much. You know what I mean? All I watch on TV is American Dad. Like, that's it. Yeah, see, you're probably not the prime candidate for worrying about what they put on TV, then, are you? Otherwise, it would be the American Dad channel that you'd subscribe <laughs> to. I'd pay 20 quid a month for that. I mean, ultimately, for me, like, okay, take the Netflix model. I have kids and I have a wife, all of whom watch loads of stuff on Netflix, on Disney Plus, etc. I don't really have lineal TV. For Amazon Prime, it's great. Like, I get the music, my music for Amazon How Prime. do you watch so much sport, Martin? Just out of interest, if you have no lineal TV. How do you watch so much sport? You're so well-informed about everything. <laughs> I, uh... Hi, matey. Raise the black sail. <laughs> I, 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 everything, which makes me feel more comfortable because I'm still paying £40 every six months. So it's like having legitimate TV, but without having <laughs> to pay the extortionate amounts. Mate, I might, have to come, I might have to jump on your provider because it's like mine is struggling at the moment. Mate, mine is superb, superb. And actually, they came off of like social media and stuff. So you can only kind of get through referral now. Um, love that. I love that. You know where you might have to send like a carrier pigeon? <laughs> yeah, you have to do it all via Telegram. Um, nice. But yeah, like yesterday afternoon, for instance, just had the football on from like midday until seven o'clock running in the living room. Just runs beautifully. The pay per view last week runs beautifully. Like I, thought never... you had, I thought you had a fire stick. Yeah, it's fire IPTV on the fire stick. Oh. Sorry, mate, technology again passes you by. <laughs> to be fair, you have been stuck on an island for six months. So, with <laughs> Wilson. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I use IPTV, um, which you know, it takes away the strain of the standard streaming process. But I do that because I don't feel like I'd get value for money paying Sky, what, 40 quid a month for sports? BT, 20 quid a month for sports. The standard TV, I literally don't even have a Sky box these days. Yeah, but, but I, like for me, like I hardly, I hardly watch TV. I no, really 
I, I watch sports. The wife watches a lot of Netflix and that, but we don't have a Skybox. We can access stuff. You know, like if you want to watch something live on the BBC, you watch it on iPlayer. You don't even need anything else. Um, so, yeah, it's... I, I don't feel like... And I cancelled my Sky two years ago, probably. Um, as in Sky Sports and that. Longer than that, maybe. Four years ago. Because I, I don't feel like, as a sports viewer, and I don't football, and that goes to BT, but you keep the majority of the Premier League. I've now got to have two football packages. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. That's what annoys me. Like, we're seeing this diffusion. But yeah. we're also seeing this diffusion in, like, just, like, non-standard non media. Look, you've got Bell, you're on OnlyFans, so I've got to pay to see interesting content on, from him. I've got, I've got this guy on pay. Bell use knob. I'm not doing that. <laughs> not again. But all of this stuff, like... I, I, Mate, I have no idea where this is ending up. Because remember when we did the first one? And I told you, OnlyFans is going to be the thing. In this lockdown, the OnlyFans griff was going to be the thing. I remember saying that. And OnlyFans became the story. Everyone jumped on it um, to varying degrees of success. A lot of people came off it. Because <laughs> shouts out to the mega upload for basically giving people a... What did I pull out? I remember once I pulled out 110 gig worth of OnlyFans content. No. Pulled it down. But I, but I deleted a lot of it because it was just, it was garbage. Cool. So you've but, got filtered stuff now. Hmm? So you've got the filtered stuff now. Uh, well, it's filtered to my taste. So it might blow people's <laughs> minds. Like, I don't know if I'd want to share that publicly. You so, you, I mean? so you've just got the Bellew folder left. Yeah, that's it. That's all that's left. But so that happened, right? Because... A lot of these people uploaded like a year's worth of content and then someone just went, do you know what? It's worth paying all this stuff just to send the link out. And so people started pulling it together, mega upload, 110 gig. And I was just like, do you know what? This is basic content. Like, this, is, this is what you get in your WhatsApp inbox. Like, Jesus, delete that. And I think that's where we're getting to now. Like Tris Dixon's on Patreon. I don't know how many subscribers he's got now, but... He can't be making any money. He doesn't look like he's making money. If I'm being honest with you, he. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That that that. that I mean, he's making he's making that TRT money, like just enough to get his 200 milligrams of testosterone so he can do his CrossFit workouts. But he's not making an income from it. That's why he's still writing books. And you're looking yeah. at all of these guys because everyone's grifting, you know, on this Patreon thing. But I keep saying to people, there is no fucking money in boxing. Nope. Unless you own one of the marquee assets in boxing, like a Joshua, there is zero money for you. You want to be an agent, a Jerry Maguire in boxing, there's no money for you. Save, even, your, save your time. Hmm? Even then they're scared of cashing in. Even if they're like, I've, right, finally, I've got Joshua and I'm not going to let him fight because what's the point? I'm going to wait wait until I can get that 700 million pound fight. Why yeah, just fight when, 70 when fights see, for 100 million pounds? Nah. Honestly, when you see the balance sheets of the company's house stuff around Joshua, and I'll dig it out from somewhere, you start to see why there isn't a rush. Like, they are insane numbers. Yeah, but, but those numbers are predicated on two fights a year. Uh, yeah. 
But I mean, if those two fights are Pulev and Ruiz, you start to see why there isn't a rush for the Fury fight. Well, no, I so, so I might be wrong on this. I don't. I think the Ruiz fights sit in a different bucket to the Pulev fight. Uh, maybe, but I mean, all that I have seen is the numbers that are available on Company's House. Yeah, they were crazy. Again, it? maybe it's what Adrian. It uh, it, it's named after like a Greek warrior. What's the promotion thing called? Yeah, and it isn't the AJ Management or the Stay Humble Limited or whatever. All those no, no, it's not that it's a separate one entirely. Um, but honestly, Andy, I'll, I'll find him and I'll send him over <coughs> because the numbers are. So what you're saying is he can he could fight Lashlov Rob Reverov and it would still bring in lots of money. Uh, yeah. Probably, yes. Um Sparta Promotions. That's it. Sparta Promotions Limited. Um and the numbers are big. And so, you know, why why does he need to rush that fury fight? If the numbers aren't right, if the dates aren't right, if it doesn't fit in with everything else going on. I'm pretty sure he can get by on the 85 million pound he made last year. But uh, how? When does it become that? No, 57 uh, mil. I've got the numbers here. It's 57. At the mil. moment, it's like so. It's 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 all in anticipation for that payoff of him being. You know, a lot of people will be waiting for him to become the unified world heavyweight heavyweight champion, or at least to be able to say he's beaten Fury, because there's a lot of people that believe that he can beat Fury. If he then goes and fights Dillian White again and then decides... And then Chisora's managed to beat Parker and it's Chisora's final chance at the last chance to lose. <laughs> who gives a fuck about that? Do people do, I mean, I'm not saying they won't because, you know, I can um, I can also imagine them doing it. But surely, if he fights Dillian White and then he fights, say, Chisora or Joseph Parker again, whatever, surely the Fury dwarfs both those fights. Yeah, of course it does. But... The point I'm trying to make is if the sole reason any of them are in it is for financials, Joshua doesn't need that money. He doesn't need it. Like if you're saying that year he made 50 million, of which say after everything's paid out, say he takes home 20 million at the end of the financial year. Okay, cool. Like everyone else has been paid, his team are rich, he's rich. Then you add up the other years subsequent to that. I'll say prior to that, say he's got 80 million in investments in cash in the bank, in this, that, and the other properties. He doesn't need to rush that Fury fight. I'm sure Fury's not a poor man. Apart from he gave it all to the homeless, but... Um, <laughs> There's some fucking rich homeless people. How much did you get from that, Andy? Why do you think I'm going there? <laughs> There's a, homeless bloke in Morecambe. There's a homeless bloke in Morecambe who gives Fury a fiver every time he goes past. Him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, the fact is, if they never fought one another, they both can retire tomorrow. So it then comes down to, do you want it? Is it legacy? Is it this? Is everybody else holding it up? And I'm sure there must come a point. If you're a fight in person and your only interest is, at this point, I just want to be undisputed, then it must get to a point where you go, oh, fuck all of this. Fuck all of this. Fuck the paperwork, fuck the people, fuck the politics, et cetera, et cetera. I could retire tomorrow, never have to lift a finger. My kids' kids' kids will be paid for life. Why am I bothering? Because I would probably get to... And you could see Fury on that MTK show was getting to that point where he was like, I, 
I just I don't know what's going on. I just want to fight. Someone give me a fight. But let's go back to that picture in Marbella. In the car right? window. Yeah. And you're looking at that going, what's that now? Coming up to two years? Yeah. This is a joke. Like, we never forgave Mayweather and Pacquiao for dragging it out. Be clear yeah. about this. We never forgave them. Yeah. We will never forgive Fury and Joshua for dragging this out, especially if the fight turns out to be one-sided for whoever wins. We will Fury never Joshua, forgive them. They probably they probably agreed terms to that fight in the car window. Yeah. But they didn't have a site fee. They didn't have fuck. Anyway, they didn't have proof of funds. I've had enough. Can we give it up? Yeah, account for my money. Any other business? Is Canelo going to fight Billy Joe Saunders? We think we covered that, didn't we? Um, it looks like it is going to happen now, but from what I hear, it hasn't been signed. But don't quote me on that. I don't think the fight's been signed. I feel that's a win-win situation. Either I finally get to see someone beat Canelo. I mean, I realise Mayweather did, but like since he's sort of got on this like fucking Mexican cow train. Um, uh, or I get to see Billy Joe Saunders knocked out because I don't see it being like some boring points win for Canelo. I do. Oh, do Canelo, you? Wins that, Canelo wins that wide unanimous decision, like 120, 108 on every card. And then Hearn goes away saying, you know, Billy Joe wasn't quite up to it, but, you know, he's still the second best super middleweight in the world. And then oh, they'll, they'll find Gabe Rosado for Billy Joe. Exactly. Then he'll, then he'll roll out the <laughs> other night. Um, that's interesting what you say about it not being signed. That's what I'm hearing. That it hasn't been signed. But I imagine that's just an easy get out in case Billy Joe decides to give people marital advice again. <laughs> Mate. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even looking... You know how, like... Callum Smith turned up for that fight. Yeah, I say turned up. Callum Smith got a flight over and stood around the same ring as Canelo for 12 rounds yeah. and then got a flight home. Went for his Slightly better version than Rocky Fielding did. Oh, that was Rocky Fielding one, wasn't it? Yeah. But if you look, no, no, but just just pause for a second. You see that Rocky Fielding thing? That's what essentially Carl Frampton signed up for, right? Just, just the fucking banter gym. Let, let's all just have a laugh and a joke, pull each other's pants down, give each other <laughs> wet willies. And you're why, like, is Tommy, why is Tommy Coyle still there in the matchroom bubble pulling pants down? He's retired. Go to the banter gym where we pull each other's pants down. That's what they do. He's not even making that up. No. And then you look at Jamie Moore, you go, you go, mate, how good a trainer are you? Really? No, I'd love to do that. Just sit there with Jamie and go, mate, look, I know what you did as a boxer. Whatever, I don't give a shit, really. But how good a trainer are you? And then Nigel Travis, and I can't really take shots at Travis because he's Lodge, and I've got to be loyal to the Lodge. But, mate, I'm like, you're there in your flat cab, but looking clueless. Mark, who's this fucking, I feel fucking boxing twat, eh? Who is he? And I realise with the Nigel Travis thing, like... He's got that brilliant story of he's a fireman, he's got the gym at the fire station, and he does all of that, and he's got his family, and then he works in the gym with Jamie Moore, aside from all that. It's a brilliant story, and I get that, and it's great, but is that a professional setup? 
It's, mate, it's a piss take, man. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> it's a fucking piss take. If you're if you're Chantel Cameron right now, yes. you just got your head in your hands going. I wish I hadn't deleted Shane's number. She's got her head in her hands after she's tied her shorts up. Oh fucking hell! <laughs> 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 just to make sure she doesn't get Weinstein in that gym. Go on, Shane. Fucking right, lads. We're fucking in there, lads. Hey, hey. Just, it's just a, it's a disaster. And it goes back. It goes back to the episode I did about why British boxing is screwed, right? You get given fighters because you kept your mouth shut. That is it. No discernible talent. No anything. There's nothing. You could have given those fighters to Andy Lee, I imagine. They would have all done better. And so I struggle at the moment, I really struggle to understand what Jamie Moore does for his fighters, what Nigel Travis does for his fighters. Oh, come and, on. There's, a, there's an underlying issue that no one's ever going to talk about as to probably why Jamie Moore gets the fighters. Yeah, well, he kept his mouth shut. What was it? What was it in Goodfellas? You know the two most important lessons in life, Henry. Never ran on your friends and don't talk to the police or some shit like that. I can't even yeah. remember it. And look, that's all that and he, he made new friends he made new friends in adversity and you know post that there were lots of fighters that go to good on him good on him like i don't blame jamie moore for that system for that hand. no i don't but it's it's just a car crash because you know every time you watch him and he's like on a sky show and like they all just beat their meat about oh, the venerable jamie moore gave us so many fantastic nights and his fighters lose again and again and again and again, and you're like, why don't you guys give Joe Gallagher his respect? Because when I watch Jamie Moore, I feel even more that Joe Gallagher doesn't get the respect he deserves. Nah, you're because more, Joe, you're Joe, Joe, the Joe Gallagher love now, ain't you? I've been there. Hey. I've been there for years. <laughs> yeah, listen, that 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 trip to Liverpool—that's what turned me. I've been there for <laughs> years, but it's true though. You look at Joe. And okay, his fighters never held world titles for like five or six fights, but they got to that level and they looked competitive for at least half the fight. What comes out of Jamie Moore's gym, uh, I think it's like Salford City, whatever it is, they don't look competitive. That worries me greatly, that they don't look competitive. So you're like, well, what's he teaching them? And I say that because I feel sorry for guys like Don Charles, who have never had that kind of limelight from boxing, but have probably delivered a lot more in more challenging circumstances. And no one gives people like that credit. Whereas Jamie Moore, hey, I mean, fucking, what was it? Like the hot spoon on the neck on Umar. Oh, so. Just fucking hell, man. Like, it's embarrassing. That's what, do you know? It's pure child, like, playground behaviour, but people buy it. Like, can I you imagine, mate, can you imagine you're watching, you know, Tottenham get ready for a, a cup game, right? <laughs> and someone runs up behind Harry Kane and does that. Can you imagine Roy Keane's reaction to seeing that? But not even, like, someone, but... Ledley King, 
Ledley King, who's recently retired and is part of the camp still, and he's helping out, and he's going around whacking hot spoons on the back of reporters' necks, like the day before the Champions League final. Are you just... Are you it's, real? Are you real? Fuck off. It's a piss take. It, and, and it lets you know that a lot of people are there for the jolly. It's almost as if they knew... Right? And I don't care what people say in their interviews. It's almost as if they knew that Frampton had nothing left in him and like they just needed to get him to the start line against Herring. This was what I said to you, that it felt like a soccer aid game. I couldn't watch it. I didn't watch it because it felt yeah. like a soccer aid. Mate, if you'd watched it, you'd have come away with the view that I did. It was a sparring session for Herring. Yeah, I know you got the cut, but the cut was accidental. It looked like Herring was like, yeah, this is all right. And remember... Herring was a Marine when Frampton turned pro. Herring's like, older than Frampton as well. It's not like... Uh, do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, look at the mileage he's got. Like, I don't know how, what tours he did. He might have been part of SEAL Team 6 that captured Bin Laden. I don't know. Right? Him, and Andy, him and Andy were in the field together. <laughs> <laughs> he's the only Wait. American boxer Andy knows. Yeah, Jamil Herring, Semper Fi. But I just watched that and I went... This is disrespecting the fans. I'm just grateful we didn't have to pay for it. Because I'm just like, you, you disrespected the fans by weeding out a guy when you was finished after the Warrington fight. Because he made Warrington look like a puncher, if you remember. Yeah. And that's why and it's the, so great that Frank Warren got rid of the fight and gave it to uh, Channel 5. Because Frank is a sound well, man. Well, well, it's weird, isn't it? Because <laughs> he gave us the, 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 the double header and then didn't give us this. I'm just like, mate... Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on here, but well, I think read, read read between the lines for an awful lot. Uh, a lot. Yeah. Awful. D for G. Yeah, I mean D for G. Look like they're well financed. D for G, maybe. <laughs> Where's Andy to sign us off, man? Will they, will they last forever? I don't think they need to. I think once they've achieved their fiscal objectives, I think they'll be. You know. I'd wonder if they will ever last or last forever. I'm not sure. Oh, oh fucking hell. Oh man, imagine going for what's it? Debt KO to Everlast. Whew. Right, is that us completed? Yep. Man, I don't even boxing. know how long that was. Completed, mate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, well, that was a while ago. You know, we're still we're still the number one podcasting trio in this sport. <laughs> There's no debate. There's no... You, you know, when remember, we said it. We said we need someone to come here and make us feel old and irrelevant. And we'll wait. But instead, we're just Roy Jones and Mike Tyson rocking back up. Charles, yeah. do you know what? We're, we're hey, just can, can we get hold of Triller? Let's just do this on Triller. I'll bring my mate Jake Paul, don't worry. <laughs> we just spent a majority hey. of this podcast whinging about boxing and boxers writing their own agenda, not fixing to a schedule. <laughs> it's exactly what we do now. Turn yeah. <laughs> up when we want. <laughs> now, but Martin, serious question. Do they need commentators for the Paul Askren fight? No, you know, I'm hoping got... last time Triller did it, didn't they get Snoop Dogg in? Let's get him back. <laughs> started talking about his uncles and the barbecue. <laughs> oh, shit. About, like, he compared a, I can't remember which fight it was. Was it uh, the main event one, where Snoop Dogg was like genuinely comparing Mike Tyson and Roy Jones to when his uncles used to yeah. fuck the family barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Are we completely finished?
the sign off. Yeah. All right. Well, I, well, thank you very much for listening. Um, and we'll see you in about know, six months or, or three months or a month, whatever. We'll the end of lockdown. Yeah. Remember, like, share, and subscribe. Why have you changed my name to I Suck Penis? <laughs> I didn't do that. It's on auto change. <laughs> right. Fuck out of it. Oh. And then I'm going to pull your pants down and everyone's going to laugh. Banner. Fucking great, lads. Fucking great. Great, lads. Right, I'm out. Love you. Right. It was All a later. pleasure. Speak to you later, lads. <laughs>